All right, cool? Cool. All right. Hola, como estas? Welcome to another episode. Today's episode is going to be absolutely huge. We have a bottle of tequila that was actually the beginning of when tequila got started. The bottle itself is handcrafted and has taken over 10 years to get to where we are right now. And on top of that, our special guest is one of the fastest growing influencers on the scene. He has an incredible background and we're going to figure out how exactly his secret has been growing to get him to where he is and where he's going in the future. So, let's get into it. Octavius, how are you, bro? Good, how are you? I'm good, man, good. Excited to be here, try this uh, fantastic tequila. <laughs> what's, uh, what's your view on tequila? Usually ends up with either me getting into a fight or someone getting in the fight with me. <laughs> How many tequilas is that? So make sure that we don't get that far. No, no, no. I'm just joking. Um, but I have seen people take tequila to the to the extreme. Usually, like not not myself personally. I'm a I'm a happy drunk, but uh, mm -hmm. some other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, on today's show, you've got a brilliant tequila that's here. This is from Jose Cuervo. Uh, people would know Jose Cuervo from. One of their not so good tequilas, it's their gold version. Usually you see it at, at cheap bars. Mm -hmm. It's very, yeah, it's very gold and does not taste good. However, they have their Reserva de Family, mm. which is a special brand of tequila that they only do small batches with. So usually on the show, this is already poured out, this is all ready to go, but I wanted us to really take the time to appreciate this bottle and if you want to just take this, just explain to everyone kind of what you're seeing here in detail. Honestly, it looks like when I look at the glass, like something you would see at like, a, like an art show where they, they're like glass blowers where there's like little micro bubbles inside kind of gives it a sense of being like really handmade, craft oriented. The wax stamp is obviously not made from a machine. You can just tell by its slight imperfections, which gives it a really artisanal um, effect and yeah, it looks like you can just open it up, rip it off, and there's like an actual piece of cloth. It's just looks, looks really cool. Do you want Do you want to see if you can uh, rip it off? Want me to try? Yeah. Oh no. I've yeah. no. I have no idea how to rip let's, it off. Let's do it together. You hold the bottle. <laughs> Team teamwork here. Uh oh. Oh. Ah, uh, uh, that's oh, how man. we do it. Bam. There we go. Sweet. <laughs> right, you I was, I was, there we go. Ooh. Oh, that's that's nice. Good sound. Oh, she does smell Sounds like I'm not going to get much work done tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first of all, we're going to do the classic neat. We're going to smell it. We're going to sm smell the aroma. And then I'm going to give you a little background of how this company actually got started. <clears throat> Should we give it a little spin? Yeah. Cheers, man. Cheers. So what are you... Um... Strong but smooth. It's extremely fresh... Smell it. <laughs> a little bit sweet. Oh, wow. I was a little concerned about, because Jose Cuervo, like, as I've said before, like, some of their tequilas are quite bad, but this is very so smooth. Smooth, yeah. You can really taste the difference between a high-quality tequila and this. Mm. I mean, a low-quality tequila and this. Yeah. So you've got... You got like smoky too, no? Yeah. So that's the they got pepper that's infused through this. That's the so when they um, have it through their distillery, um, they're getting a lot of that pepper. They've got actually um, uh, 
You can taste it in the aftertaste. It's quite sweet. So they've got like this honey that comes through it. So a lot of this, like the fermenting in that um, through the agave, so the plant that tequila comes from, every single company that distills a certain way and how the agave is processed. So the agave, it takes about 10 years for them to, before they harvest it. Oh. A lot of tequilas usually do two, three years, sometimes six years, six years, seven years is considered good. So the extra 10, that 10 years, that's how long it takes for you to actually, them actually to pull it out of the, the, the ground. And so by that time, when they do actually distill it, that's where you get the smoothness for. Hmm. So um, I've mentioned this a number of times on the episode, I'm gonna repeat it again. When you see a clear bottle, it's usually a Blanco or a Silver or something like that, which is this. And that means it's not aged. So they haven't put it into a barrel for it to kind of settle mm. and infuse different flavors from the, the, the oak in the barrel. For something to be as smooth as this, straight out of like the distillery, it just goes to show you know, how important that agave sort of harvesting is. Just saying. So what you're saying is the cacti agave, is it, what's the difference between agave and a cactus? Is it the same? Two different plants. Two different plants. Yeah. Cactus is the ones that kind of go up into the, yeah. the, the, um, the air. <laughs> agave is like a little, think of like a little porcupine, little porcupine but like a fruit. Bush. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so when the, it's actually really cool to see how they harvest that because they'll have I mean, which actually kind of brings us to how tequila got started. So, um, so tequila, um, it was first started in 1978, no, 1758. So over 250 years. Yeah, go for it. 19, what? 1758. So Jose Cuervo is the oldest tequila company in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Um, Is the oldest tequila company in the world. Okay. And what happened was back in um, back in Mexico. Cheers again. Thank you. Back in um, 1758, uh, Jose Antonio de Cuervo was given the rights by King Fernand VI to produce um, a sorry to get the land to be able to produce tequila and be able to grow agave. Did they know about it already, sort of? Or? Well, back in years and years and years and years, Mexico has always had this in um, like family tradi- mm. traditions and generations where they've had their own little agave and then made their own little distillery. But this was the first one at scale where mm. someone's giving land on ownership because remember, the Spanish came in and you know they took over Mexico yeah. you know, to what it is. So... Uh, the king then was gave grants to indigenous, uh, you know, Mexicans to be able to actually have ownership of land to be able to produce something like this. Mm-hmm. So, so this went on, and then uh, in 1795, it was uh, King Carlos. He issued a decree from Spain on the license to be able to actually distill and distribute tequila. So first it went from having ownership of land to actually grow the agave. Mm. Then 1795, they were given a decree, hey, now you can start distributing it and creating it. Mm. And that was coming off the back of prohibition. Oh, wow. So they weren't allowed to do any of this. And then times have changed. Prohibition back then too, eh? Back then, yeah. Yep. And then, uh, so that was taken care of. That was the first license I produced. And then... uh, 
18 so 1800 there's a i did the first episode of tequila high club we we had 1800 at 1800 is considered as kind of like the first time when tequila was ready it was the first time when barrels were actually really ready so in 1795 um, they got started and then five years later they started playing with the first barrels were coming out and then it was 1812 was the actual first distillery that officially got started and that's when um, Jose Cueve, their distillery, got started. So that's when you—that's when they the company really started growing. But they've like exported it probably back to Spain and throughout Europe, or no? So they kept it within Mexico, um, and then they started exporting it to um, California. So 1852 was the first export to California to America. So and that's really where it kind of started taking off. And and tequila this day is all because of Jose Cuervo, of what they've done. So it goes a little bit further. So Jose Cuervo, so usually, and you would have seen this back in movies where, uh, you know, if it's whiskey or moonshine, it's always in big barrels, right? Uh, So Jose Cuervo is the first company to individually bottle tequila in bottles like this and made easier to transport, easier to sell. Mm -hmm. People could get smaller, um, smaller amounts, but, you know, bigger cases, very easy for them to sell off as well. And then in uh, 1945 is where everything went full mainstream. So fast forward a number of years, what do you think? And you would know what you know how with your success so far. Um, imagine having uh, being in a time of place where the only thing you had was newspapers, um, radio. How do you think a tequila or an alcohol company could get mainstream basically overnight hmm. do you have any idea hollywood movies no far hmm. from it interesting like uh bootleggers not not <laughs> even that all above board fully legal hmm. what happened was in mexico in 1945 um there was this guy called uh joyce no what was the guy called um pancho morales that's right he was a bartender in Mexico and he, this, this lady came in and she asked for this certain drink. Now, it's called uh, Mongolia and he didn't know how to make that drink. So, in 1945, he notices, he goes, he figures out what's kind of in it and creates his own drink and gives it to the woman. The woman goes, this isn't a Mongolia, but it's really nice. He goes, oh, sorry, I thought you said margarita because margarita in Spanish is daisy and that's what I thought the Mongolia was, mm. was for. Interesting. And so since then, she was drinking it and then more people asked, oh, what are you drinking? And then he ended up making all these margaritas oh, using Jose Cuervo's um, tequila. Wow. And then word got around and then within a like a very, very short time, everyone in America and California started ordering these margaritas and then Pancho became pretty famous for that and then people found out about Jose Cuervo and it helped them with distribution because they were actually struggling with distribution in 1945. Then they took on the branding rights for the margarita and started pushing it out to all these bars throughout the whole of America mm-hmm. and then that skyrocketed Jose Cuervo's sales. Wow. And then they ended up becoming mainstream. That's why I see, that's why I see Jose Cuervo now in every bar pretty much in America. Exactly. Right? They, um, out of every five bottles of tequila, it's like, well, they have a fifth of the market share. That's pretty impressive. They, yeah, they do about $100 million a year. So it's all like happen, happens chance. Just 
someone ordered something that missed lost translation yep. and, and then all of a sudden the drink tasted good i love margaritas <laughs> yeah it's one of my favorite ways of drinking tequila spicy margarita classic margarita yeah it's groovy man so um so yeah so that's the that's the story of tequila um and then it was 1975 uh they got a what's it called um a destination of origin so you know how scott um in scotland whiskey can only be made in scotland yeah, yep champagne france well tequila is the same mm. tequila got the same trademark where if you want to call it tequila it has to be made in certain states of tequila and one of the most important ones is tequila Jalisco. Hmm. Um, and so that's the story behind. What if a drink was, uh, I guess, because then you have bourbon, whiskey, and you have scotch, right? Scotch is limited to Scotland. Mm-hmm. It's Scot- basically, it's whiskey, but it's yeah. from Scotland. Where, where, is there anything that's like, what would something be called tequila if it's not from these places? Does it have another name? There has right. been people that have tried to create uh, very similar um and you just can't call it tequila Mm. like there was word going around where people wanted to still get the agave um and then do it over here in indonesia but they were going to call it like barley killer or something like that Bakila. yeah (laughs) now the interesting thing is um because of like the decree and what uh you know how getting the destination origin when you look back into like the Spanish kings and everything like that, giving the okay for all of this, the power that tequila has to go back for generations and back into like the Spanish like Catholic church mm-hmm. is crazy. So a friend of mine has got this company called Religion Tequila. It's one of the best tequilas in the world. And he originally had a cross on the, the logo for religion, um, for religion tequila. Yeah. And the Catholic Church found out about it and they ordered him to change the entire branding of the bottle. So they changed everything. They were going to shut them, their whole company down. What? Not like a suspension, but shut it completely down. Did and they have the power to do that? 100%. That? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Is it through, what, it through like uh, connections and stuff or is it even like a legal? It's, I mean, when the Catholic Church comes down and, and says something, um, they've got a lot of power to be able to... Levers to pull, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and that was many years ago and so that kind of made me understand the power of how important tequila is to one mexico um but then also how much it can actually go back um with powers behind so that's that's the story of uh jose cueva and the rosaba today and here we are today in a studio in bali enjoying a nice Little sippy sip, a little sippy sip. <laughs> Let's uh, now have a shot, bro, because I want us to get into the story of you now Uh-oh. and figure out what's good. <laughs> oh, shit, man, that's smooth. Mm. When I say woo, it's usually like, oh, when this was woo. <laughs> <laughs> so, the best thing um, is how many times have you had orange uh, after? After Ooh, a shot. Well, normally, not very much, but normally I like the lemon because it's so the tequila is so strong and bitter. Mm-hmm. Helps, I guess, to counter it, but I think with this tequila, definitely orange is nice. I mean, with every single... This is the thing, right? So, it's every single tequila, even if it's terrible tequila, the mm-hmm. orange is a thousand times better than lemon all the time, every time. Really? Yep. And it's because you've got... Um, when tequila is distilled and the, the sweetness with the agave... 
uh, it comes through more citrusy than lemon, than lemony. Because lemons are quite acidic, right? Yeah, yeah. But then when you have the orange, it kind of helps it blend a little bit more. I love podcasts, especially drinking ones. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Um. So out of ten, bro, what would you rate this tequila so far? I mean, it's probably the best tequila I've ever had, so I got to give it a ten. Okay, nice, <laughs> classic. How about, how about yourself? How would you rate it? Um, I would give it. I'd probably give it like a eight point eight point seven. Yeah. What, what one wouldn't you give a ten? Do you have any that you would give a full ten? Haven't given a ten yet. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're more of a connoisseur. I'm like, uh, <laughs> that's good, ten. <laughs> I mean, but this is the good thing, right? That yeah. this is the whole point about this show is that if you have shitty tequila, you're never going to give it a ten, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's cool to actually hear someone who does drink tequila, but to be able to go instead of ooh, like it's like ooh, to get that feeling, I think. I want everyone to understand that there are good tequilas out there. Yeah, you can yeah. enjoy it by just sipping it. Neat. You don't, so, you, so true, yeah. You, you normally just know tequilas like margarita or shots, basically. Yep. So, to have it with just like orange juice, it's probably because it's a higher quality one, but this is really nice. Mm-hmm. Cheers, bro. Yeah, thank you. Cheers to a 10 out of 10. <laughs> okay, man. So, let's let's find out the story about you, bro. Where are you, where are you from? I grew up in a small town in southern Canada. Call, they call it Southwestern Ontario. It's actually like more south than Detroit. Our claim to fame, it's the most southern town in all of Canada. So for being a very northern country, it was south. <laughs> <laughs> and then how did you get to, to Bali? Bali, I came for during the pandemic, and which is actually kind of funny because right before the pandemic happened, I had an opportunity to actually come to, I think it maybe it was Sumba or one of the other islands, but uh, I was going to do like social media slash yoga exchange where I would do yoga and social media in exchange for like place to live. Is that an LMIA? It was a surf camp somewhere. Okay. I'm not sure. I forget what it was called. Um, but like literally I was like looking into it. I was, I had two options at the time that or keep pursuing my uh, business in the UK. I was literally going to show up at my potential investor's door and just be like, it's time to invest, man. Come on. We've been talking for a year and a half. And then the pandemic hit. And then, like, I was locked in Canada for six months, nine months, and then I was like, I gotta check out Bali. There's something that just kept pulling me here. I thought it'd be a little bit easier to enjoy because when in Canada during the pandemic, everything was like closed. We had like moments of time where you could go to the gym, moments of time where you could like go to a restaurant, but otherwise, you know, Canada's already a pretty hard place to live in the winter, regardless because it's so cold. But imagine now getting cut off of all your things that you can do are, are indoors and you can't go anywhere indoors. Mm-hmm. So Bali was just seemed like a breath of fresh air. And then immediately I fell in love with it. When I got here, it was just like good weather, good people, uh, easygoing culture. Um, you know, it's a place where you can also live pretty comfortably as someone from a, like a developed country. Uh, you know, you have your expensive, beautiful restaurants, etc. Lots of people mm-hmm. who speak your own language. But then at the same time, you have this opportunity to live sometimes more cheaply experience more cheap things, but also experience something that's a very exotic culture like Balinese with their ceremonies, the Hinduism, and and just the the variety of like foliage on the islands and amazing, right? The mountains compared mm-hmm. to the beaches, etc. Yeah. It's, it's never it's it's nowhere like I've ever experienced before. So I'm happy to be here. Cheers so, to Bali. <laughs> cheers to Bali. Um so so what were we doing before like, coming to Bali though? You said an investor, because I understand what you're doing now. It's, it's very heavily, the brand is in real estate. Yep. Um, I know you've got a project as well. Yep. Uh, what were you doing real estate before coming to Bali? 
I, I worked in some marketing aspects of real estate before. My parents were real estate agents. It's funny enough, like like five, ten years ago, I made my parents some some videos that I was trying to have them promote online and trying to create viral videos for their real estate agency. And to be honest, my mom was just too embarrassed. So she basically we produced the videos. And then she was just like, oh, I don't want this to be online, blah, blah, blah. But they're pretty funny because what we did was essentially my dad loves Star Wars. So we basically make uh, this drama about Darth Vader being a real estate agent. <laughs> was, and so like if, if clients didn't want to buy, he would like choke them to death or something like that. Or he would convince them to buy with the force and stuff. Oh my God. Do you just, still have these videos? I do somewhere online. I could... <laughs> oh my God. That'd be so funny, bro. Your dad sounds like an absolute lord. Yeah. He, and he wanted to like, he was just all about it. But my mom is more conservative when it comes to her public image, etc. So that was like my first marketing stint into real estate and whatnot. But before this, I was actually raising money and I did successfully raise money during COVID from a UK a film studio called Twickenham Film Studios. They won the Academy Award for Bohemian Rhapsody. They did the sound design for that in 2019 and won Academy Award for sound design. But they're like London, UK's oldest film studio. It's been around since I think 1905. Mm -hmm. And the investor, this is actually a funny story about me, but a funny story about like life in general. The investor's name is Sonny Vora and he's a great guy. But the reason he answered my email, because I spent thousands of emails trying to raise money for a comic book company that was going to try to like growth hack comic book and IP development into like feature films, into video games, etc. Pretty strong vision for this company. And I sent thousands of emails, mostly never getting a response. And he said, the only reason I responded to you was because of your name. And what was crazy serendipitous about that is that my legal name isn't Octavius Ra. It's a name I gave myself when I became a writer which then led me to this guy, Sonny. And Ra is the Egyptian word for sun god of Egypt. And like the idea behind that was because I actually wanted to explore moving places like California or Australia or places like Bali. I wanted to chase more sun, sunlight, sunlight literally in my life. And my investor's name is Sonny. And he said the only reason I answered, <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Wow. Only reason he answered my email was because of my name too. So that's what he said. And then of course we developed a more professional relationship beyond just uh, <laughs> superficial name titles etc but uh yeah so i came to bali and uh I i'm still working on my comic book company etc but there were some delays with, with some funding there's some delays with some partner issues as well so um during the nft bull run it was a really interesting experience because i had a chance to sort of visualize if you could do any business what would you do because everything seemed to be possible in terms of fundraising mm -hmm. for companies and i started playing around with this idea with like living I, I was living in bali for the first time and i really liked living in bali but i i felt like there were some things missing wherever i stayed if it was a hotel there was something missing if i stayed at a villa there was something missing if i stayed at a guest house there was something missing and i, and I started working out what was missing etc and i wanted to create a vision for a company that would like have everything that would be potentially needed in the location and then have these locations all around the world and the idea there is that Whoever you are, wherever you are, you can travel to these locations, be a digital nomad, and just plug yourself into a really good quality community, really good quality living experience that's, that satisfies uh, your needs. And those uh, needs are based on the, what I call the four pillars of a good life, health, wealth, happiness, and purpose. They're four pillars that, if they're equal, will keep your roof really strong, right? Balanced. Because if, if you have happiness... It's really important, but if you have no health or you have no wealth and you're just happy, but you have a mm -hmm. pain and you have suffering and other elements. And if you have 
health, wealth, and happiness is good, but if there's no purpose, no direction, you might feel lost. So I figure that in a way that's my own like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, and I want the, the brand to be sort of guided by this just so we don't ever like sort of get off course mm-hmm. in a sense. Does that mean, because we see this a lot, especially around here in Bali, uh, would you, if you want to create a good community, because there's, <clears throat> there's a lot of people here in the community who talk a lot of shit and haven't actually got the skills or anything to back it up, right? So for something like that, if you do want to create a really good community somewhere, you can go and tap yourself into a proper community. Would you vet people coming in, being able to be a part of that? That's interesting. Kind of like something where it's like a private members club in a way. Um, I mean, there can be levels to it, right? Obviously, because yeah. you want everyone to be in there. But to really get into the top, to make sure that, hey, if I'm going to go here, I'm going to spend a thousand, two thousand, five thousand dollars for a year or whatever it is just to get into this. Mm-hmm. I know that everyone's going to be vetted. I'm not going to have my time wasted. Yeah, something that's an angle to think about. I hadn't really thought about it on that level. Uh, and it was one of the concerns, actually, if we did launch an NFT, was because you don't really. In some ways, you could have like NFT as like the first entrance, like you need the NFT first and then you apply. But generally speaking, with the NFT world, it's just like you have the NFT and then you're you're part you're a member regardless, right? So one of the issues I thought with that was like, what if the NFTs just go to all sorts of like people that aren't cool or and whatnot? Would we have to create a different level? And then I and as the um, the bear market sort of set in, I just started thinking like maybe. And also the SEC started crack down on NFTs because one of the things is I wanted to create like a make it into like a REIT where it had like ongoing residual income mm-hmm. to basically the people who help build the community and the resort should get some return on investment. So the new laws and the current market, it became a little bit untenable to like launch something like this. So I just started thinking of it more as a traditional real estate company and real estate brand that maybe later on we can have some Web3 component to. But in terms of the actual community stuff, like you're saying, I would say I don't have a definitive answer on that right now, but um, it's definitely something to think about. I do think that I would like the community to be accessible. Not, not the only barrier entry shouldn't be like financial in my view. One of the concepts of it is that you, you can live on site in these luxurious uh, um, rooms. You can buy a room as an investment and take off and it's rented out for you, for example. But I think one of the interesting aspects is you could just pay like a membership fee and have access to our like luxury co-working space, spa, gym, community and live down the road in a very cheap guest house. So it's more being vetted on like values. So mm-hmm. I would say it will sort of ideally kind of like vet itself versus us having to have like a stringent membership process. It'll just be like, this is the kind of place we want to create and this is our values. And uh, one of those things ironically is that I don't want it to be too focused on drinking or partying. Mm-hmm. I want it to be more focused on other things, but health, wealth, happiness, and purpose, I think on the happiness component, drinking is a, could mm-hmm. be a part of that, right? Yeah. It's just not like, it's not like a beach club. It's not like a resort where it's mainly for vacations, which most resorts mm-hmm. are all about a beach club, partying where it's all about. It's more focused on people like probably similar to yourselves or a lot of digital nomads who are doing really well for themselves. Uh, but sometimes want to be in Bali for only two, three months, and then they want to travel to, say, Mykonos, or they want to travel to somewhere cool like Dubai or Mm -hmm. Costa Rica. So they can go there, plug in, and it has all your needs in one spot, so it makes um, the continuity of their lifestyle much more easy, right? They have their community where it's like high-end digital nomads, professionals, et cetera. 
there'd be a podcast studio, for example, on site everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we'd have a resident podcast, but then we would also have people renting the room to do podcasts themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that makes a lot more sense. Because I'm all for people who, uh, especially coming to Bali. Yeah. I mean, there's a few places around the world where you see digital nomads. Um, you know, Costa Rica is really good for this as well. Uh, we're trying to do this in Kuala Lumpur because the tower that we have. First Kuala Lumpur in Mexico? In, in Malaysia. Malaysia. Oh, so, Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> <laughs> My accent. <laughs> I was like, Kuala Lumpur, that sounds like a great Mexican like, uh, city. Where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> Lots of uh, cocaine and hookers. Um, so we've got that and I understand that and I'm all for people who want to uh, live the bare minimum so that they can focus on their business. Yeah. Um, I have nothing against that at all. And I think it's one of the smartest moves because if you were going to try and build a business, uh, whether it's online or, or anything like that, you work on it. Like if you're living in Canada, if you're living in Australia, your overheads are extremely high. Exactly. Even if you're just a sole trader, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you could save up the money to be able to come over here, go live at a guest house that costs you 400 bucks for a month. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then go network. Yeah. And but then if you had something like, is this the mermaid? Mermaid house. Is yeah, the mermaid yeah. house, right? If you had the mermaid house, then that's a great way for you to be able to come in and, and then network. Yeah. And sure, you might be building your business and haven't made it, but at least you can still make connects. Yeah. And you're still putting yourself forward into that, that atmosphere. Absolutely. So the overall brand actually is called um, Houses Project because I, I foresee it being in like three geographic uh, weather locations mermaid house for seaside resorts um or seaside communities uh jungle house for like somewhere that would be like ubud or interior of costa rica jungle mm-hmm. and then a teddy bear house for somewhere that would be like in the mountains so people could ski and snowboard because also another thing is wouldn't it be nice to take off for two months do a snowboarding or skiing trip are you into that at all 100 so- i love snowboarding but then you have your community your co-working space your, your podcast studio your offices your healthy mm-hmm. foods and uh and the foods also for me i suffered from a lot of digestion issues so when i'm traveling it can be like a big stress to figure out where can i eat what i cannot eat and places that serve like macro uh dinners kind of like dispensary that body factory has is really good for me because i get to choose every single one of my ingredients that goes into my my food so what i like about that is it's pretty flexible depending on if you've got the vegan diet you've got the the keto diet, you've got the sensitive stomach diet, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's really good to have like nutrition that also can support multiple facets of individuals um, as well. But like you, like you said, obviously those some of the rooms on the resort are going to be expensive, right? They're going to be luxurious. We want we want to attract people also that can who are making two three hundred thousand dollars plus uh, per year and have a abundance of money to be able to spend. But it's like we don't want to like cut off the person who's ambitious. Mm-hmm got the right mindset, but just can't afford an expensive room so that he can't go to the community. No, he can, there'll be more affordable, more like dorm-like uh, places that will be on site. But then obviously if they can even even cheap, cheaper than that, like a guest house, and then they just need to pay, pay the membership fee and then they get access to like, <clears throat> their healthy living is taken care of. Mm-hmm. Their wealth, wealth being the second step is really important because uh, what do you need nowadays to be wealthy? You need great connections. And you need great internet connections. Those are probably the two most important yeah. factors. I mean, internet, it just seems a no-brainer to have like the highest quality internet possible so that everyone is a, has access to making money online and stuff like that, especially digital nomads. That's what they, mm-hmm. they need. I mean, imagine you, you rent a, like a $10,000 a month villa 
and then you show up, the internet sucks, they said it was good, but then it sucks, and then you're like, okay, fine, I can afford this, I'm gonna bring the internet guy in here, but by the time the internet guy shows up to like upgrade the cables, you may have already wasted two weeks of time, a bunch of frustration, so time is money, and you need things to be smooth, and there needs to be like no headaches, so that's one of the big things that I perceive the Mermaid House taking care of, is like all the little details that are frustrating when you first move into a new place, like, where do I do my laundry? Is it gonna be a good laundry place? Well, we'll do your laundry for you. We'll make sure that no matter what your diet is, you can eat here. Mm -hmm. We'll make sure the internet's gonna be okay. We'll make sure your community's gonna be good and you have a good gym, etc. And so you can just plug into these different uh, ecosystems. My concept for the membership component is, is that if you're a member and you're staying at the Mermaid House and you're traveling uh, all, all year round is that, There'll be two companies, one company for the management side and the brand, and the other company is actually the, the underlying asset, so the land that's being owned. So actually, you as you pay your monthly like $2,000 a month fee, rent fee or some more expensive villas or, or locations might be like $5,000 a month, a portion of that goes into essentially buying a piece of the fund. Mm-hmm. So not only do we bring in a little bit more money as a fund, and a, but we actually create like a savings account or an investment account for the... Uh, members so even if you're renting and that that was a bit inspired by housing prices in like the west how like housing just keeps going up and up and up so even if you're making good money it becomes really hard to just save up that five or ten percent down mm-hmm. payment for your one bedroom million dollar condo in toronto for example yep. where i'm from um so it's like if you're renting kind of like all the time you should at the, at the end of the day end up with something right mm-hmm so that's my thinking on it. <laughs> this is that's a good that's a cool point because that's the model that I follow as well. And especially here in Bali with real estate crazy, yeah. People I've seen people who have like done their PT PMA, the yeah. the company here, and then they've done all the renting and everything out with the the land and the, you know the I, IMB as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas they should be splitting it. And being able to have the ownership of the land, the property, but mm. then having another property management company to actually facilitate all the, the rentals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that way you split the assets apart and mm. it's better for taxes and everything like that as well. And yeah, you can build that savings equity within that and pull it to the site. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is cool. And the ideal thing there would be is like if, there, if we end up with multiple locations around the world, we could bring in some large institutional <laughs> capital because... Mm-hmm we want the high growth potentially of like a, a startup that's like a brand and has all sorts of different uh, revenue verticals, but then also the security of like, hey, at the end of the day, we own this massive land portfolio. Mm-hmm. Our members own a portfolio. And it's also like keeping, keeping it in the family. If our members are paying rent every month and they're only a piece of the portfolio, are they gonna wanna stay at our place or some other place where they don't get anything at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the idea, right? <laughs> that's awesome. So, so when did you come up with that idea? Oh man, it, it's a, ideas are always very like evolutionary. Um, the original idea for the Mermaid House actually was conceptualized as a, a job for me. This is kind of funny. One of my low points was in 2019. I had just gotten back from the Cannes Film Festival and I was pitching my comic book stuff. This is my first and only meeting with this guy, Sonny, in person. And, uh, you know, like a lot of investors, they'll say something like, I'm interested. <laughs> like, okay, great. Let's, you know, I, I need to pay my bills. <laughs> so, like, are you going to invest or not? But it takes time to groom and develop that relationship and to uh, facilitate that transaction, which is a big transaction for the investor, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in some cases. 
Um, so at this time I was staying with my family in my hometown. I'd just gotten back from this like trip to Europe and it was like the high and the low, right? I just spent all this money in Europe, spent all this time in Europe, almost closed an investment deal. Now it's like, hmm, got no revenue. I'm living, living with my parents for a little bit and I had some spare time. So of course, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna open up Amazon and watch some, uh... <laughs> I ended up watching a sort of like a dramatized documentary about the life of Hugh Hefner. This is weird, it gets like, how did, how did you come up with the mermaid house from this? This is why it's like an evolutionary mm -hmm. step. So I'm like seeing what Hugh Hefner did and I was like, oh, what I like about his history is like he started a magazine, yeah, it had a lot of sexy girls in it, but it was actually very politically driven, especially in the early days. They would write about women's rights. They would write about like the freedom. Like it was like the sex 60s. So like the sex revolution and like birth control was kind of revolutionary back in the day. So anyways, it, it was interesting that it combined two of my passions, politics and um, beautiful women. And then I was like, okay, that's cool. Who's doing something like that now in a way? Like Dan Bilzerian is kind of doing something similar. He's got, he has a lot of sexy girls, a lot of fun. I don't think much of the politics, no, not, nothing really on the politics side, but he's like got all these sexy girls and he's got a brand associated with that, Ignite. I'm like, well, that's an interesting business model. Then I started, I started thinking, what, do, what am I good at? Well, I'm pretty good at speaking. And uh, maybe if this comic book thing doesn't work out, what would I do? And I was like, I wouldn't mind doing like a podcast where I'm talking about politics and stuff, a little bit like Joe Rogan, where he gets into a lot of different topics. And then like, how can I combine beautiful women and a podcast? Like, how could I combine like, and then the concept was just like, what if there was like a, a glass wall and that and behind that glass wall is the pool and there is some beautiful girls swimming in the pool. Why are you doing the podcast? Why are you doing the podcast? I was just like eye candy to sort of, in a way it was a marketing gimmick because it's like so many podcasts out there. How do I get my initial intention? Hmm, if I have a couple of girls who are models swimming in the background or whatever, they will post it, tweet about it, whatever. And that'll drive a little bit of initial traction. Hmm. And my thinking there is track, attract all the male audiences with the pretty girls and then keep them there with intellectual conversation. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the seed. Uh, and you, I actually had a, <laughs> a folder in my um, Google Drive actually called Babes, Boobs and Bali at some point. <laughs> and it was this idea. I didn't have a name for it or whatever. I let, let Ricky, let Ricky vet that, that, that folder. <laughs> <laughs> babes, boobs, and Bali. The, the folder, babes, boobs, and Bali. Like, it was the concept of like, the early stage of the Mermaid House was basically like, a podcast with like, people swimming in the background. <clears throat> I don't even think I had the Mermaid title yet, kind of like, figured out. But, where it evolved, I kind of put that aside for a while. It was just like, a folder sitting there. And then, when I had this, NFT revolution, you need to have an NFT, like a character. I'm like, oh, cool. The people swimming could be mermaids, mermaid house. And then I started thinking like beyond just the podcast and the entertainment side of things, what do people actually need to be their the best versions of themselves? Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about the values and like, you know, I was also thinking like another thing about Bali is I'm sure we can all relate who, who have been here, especially in Canggu is like traffic. So what if we built this sort of resort away from the traffic and I call these like anchor anchor cities, right? So you have like the resort acts as an anchor, an underdeveloped area of Bali so you can buy cheaper land and you have the resort set up there. But on that resort, if nothing else is around, you kind of need it to have everything. It has to be the anchor. It has to have your like little health clinic, has to have your food, 
little grocery store that you could buy some stuff at, shopping, hairdresser, all these different things. So mm -hmm. once you start doing that, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So what started as a small concept started to evolve into like this, this bigger concept. And then I just started doing research about, you know, trends in the world, more people becoming remote workers, whatnot, other companies that were starting up with land and rentals, etc. So yeah, it's just, you know, I bored a lot of ideas from a lot of people and try to mash it up into my own sort mm -hmm. of um, idea. <laughs> nice, man. I really like that. It's, it's a very cool story and, and the idea on how you've been able to articulate it into from like that kind of passion into that. I've got it's, the funny thing in between, I want to go on to sort of next on how you've been growing. Yeah. Um, but going back to the Hugh Hefner and Dan Blazarium, I've got a number of friends who've been in the Playboy house when Hugh Hefner was around. Yeah. And then I have another a number of friends who've been in the Ignite house with no. Dan Blazarium <laughs> and is black and white. Everyone thinks that Hugh Hefner is this guy that when any any girls are there that you know you have to go fuck Hugh Hefner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's um he's very polite. He's a gentleman. Um, my girlfriends have seen uh, girls try to like kind of like sleaze on him, and he's like kind of like fuck off. Mm -hmm. uh, he's very respectful. Um, so kind of seeing the position that the, the the brand that he's made himself to who he actually is at the core then you look at Dan Blazarum we've got a lot of friends who have stayed at his house and they'll get texts to like hey come suck my dick like mm -mm. Shit, crazy shit like this right so there's a difference but kudos to Dan Blazarum because Dan Blazarum doesn't give a fuck and that's his life and mm -hmm. he's happy doing what he's, what he's doing mm -hmm. and so I have no qualms about that right yeah, yeah. do whatever the fuck you want to do um, and then Hugh Hefner, though, has got this crazy Playboy brand, mm -hmm. but he's the most respectful guy as well. But mm -hmm. people have this perception that he is like a sleaze or something yeah. like that, or you have to fuck him. So um, I just want to point those two things out on no, interesting. how interesting. Yeah. No, that is interesting. I, to dive a little bit deeper into that, it's like it's really hard to know, and like, especially in the, the, the era of cancel culture, I mean, people try to cancel you for everything. And even just saying like, oh, Dan Bilzerian has some good qualities and I'm sure some bad qualities, like we all do. You can be canceled for promoting some of his good qualities or saying Hugh Hefner had some good qualities. You could be like, some people could try to literally cancel you based on uh, saying he had some good qualities. But when I did watch this Amazon Prime series, I forget what it's called, but it just kind of like gave me a perspective of his life and how uh, like he was an entrepreneur he, he liked beautiful women, as most straight men do. You know, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and um, yeah, I got the sense that he seemed to be quite a quite a gentleman. Did he did he ever make someone feel uncomfortable in their life? Probably, but most of us do at some point make some people feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he made more people feel very welcome and comfortable. It's just that people don't rage about when how how comfortable they felt, right? Yeah, exactly. And. Uh, and like you said with Dan Bilzerian, I think it's it's interesting because he used to be called like the king of Instagram, right? And like I remember when he first blew up, I was like, "What the heck, this guy?" Just... Well, when's the first memory of you of him blowing up to you? I, I used to be a waiter in like a fine dining restaurant in Toronto, and I think it was just like Instagram was just really starting to take off then, and just some people were just showing me like, "Look at this guy's lifestyle," or "What? A, look, this guy's crazy, all surrounded by beautiful girls and stuff like that." And to me, it's. It's great. I think it's based on everyone's personality. So for me, it wouldn't satisfy me just to be around beautiful girls and shooting guns and driving ATVs. Mm. There's a side of me that's, uh, and I don't know enough 
but then Bill Zarin to say this is true or not. But there's a side of me that's highly political, highly interested in like intellectual conversations, etc. So I would just get bored of it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why if I were to do a podcast one day, it would have to be very like intellectually like driven and the girls are just going to be eye candy to like bring leaves and just to make it like more interesting, like the Mermaid House podcast and you see swimming girls yeah. in the background, could be fun. <laughs> Did you do that with the green screen? No, no, I'd want a real... Uh, you want, yeah, I know you want a real thing, but like in the short term, right? Could you do it with a green screen? Could, but I wouldn't. Nah. nah. <laughs> it actually makes sense because the last video you put up, there was, <laughs> you, were in, you were in a house that my mates used to rent and you're looking through the um in the room with the the window into the pool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just laughed at that. Which which one was that? Was that the one in Ubud? Uh, no, there's one in um in Changu here. It's not the uh, oh. It's the one with like the container. The, the bridge house. Yeah, the bridge house. Yeah. Yeah, we we haven't posted that, but I guess we probably saw some of the stories. I think that was on your stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah that was a really that's a really cool house. It had a really n- nice sense of like zen when you go there with that centerpiece, that tree. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they separated it with like this bridge, this unique architecture. It's really cool. Yeah. The, um, so the cinema room used to be like our, uh, our friend used to call it the, um, what do you used to call it? The, um, the space, the space, no, the space center, space launch or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And we Star- started, yeah, we used to always end up back there. Um, like after like a big party, like every Friday th- and, and Saturday through, um, COVID. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it was really it was, time. was a really nice villa. Yeah, that was that was a fun fun villa tour for sure. <laughs> yeah, I really liked seeing the glass windows into the pools. I think my one of my favorite villa tour was this villa called Millie Ways. It's in Ubud. Um and it has a completely glass bottom pool as a ceiling of the main living room, which is like uh, in meters is probably like 15, 20 meters in feet it's like fifty foot or something like wow. that. Uh, just a really big I could be wrong with those uh, numbers, by the way, but like a really high ceiling. And I like those little elements, even though it would cost so much money to do something like that. Mm-hmm. It just adds such a unique feel to the place. Like you look up and there's someone swimming above you. That's cool, right? It's nuts, man. <laughs> that was like um, our last villa. We had uh, Mandela, the house, and um, we had two pools there, but we had an upstairs pool where you'd like, you'd be having a barbecue and upstairs you look at the pool. Glass bottom? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Glass bottom. Yeah, that's yeah. actually one place that there's a lot of people have done stuff there, yeah. but that's probably a cool tour that you do. Yeah, I think that even in London right now, there's like a tower, two towers, whatever, and they're connected by a, a pool. Yeah, that thing's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're wearing goggles, you can see down. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, oh, be careful. I hope this thing was engineered properly. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully it's not done in Indonesia. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this then. So, you know, the videos that you've made, mm. absolute virality. Now, you, you obviously understand how the algorithm works. You understand because you were talking about how to make viral videos with your mom and dad, like the task beta stuff, which yeah. I think is genius. Yeah. When did you start posting these, can I take a look at your rent videos? Yeah. Because the growth, when I think when I caught onto you was roughly when you were thinking about 30K. Huh. And now you're far, far ahead of that. Um, when did you start to go, hey, this is a thing I think I want to try it out? Or did you go, I'm pretty sure this is going to be sweet. Or this is going to kick off. It's an interesting question and uh, probably a more, I don't know, ironic answer. The night before I left Bali, I had this, uh, left Canada for Bali, I had this epic, 
epic disagreement with uh at the time my girlfriend who was soon to be my ex <laughs> and because of that it really shifted my state of consciousness and i was packing stuff i left my laptop in canada so when i came to bali all i had was my phone and i was also told by a mortgage lender in canada that i would be able to secure a loan through some of these private lenders for a hotel so i didn't think i was going to start right away doing these like TikToks or villa tours or whatever. Plan was to buy the hotel, turn it into the jungle house and just focus on that. And funding fell through, had no laptop, really was didn't want to sit there and reach out to investors anymore asking for money. I was kind of tired of it because I spent the last year reaching out to investors for capital for the Mermaid House and just coming against a lot of different walls and feeling kind of bored in in a sense as well. So I have this phone, and I'm like and I see this guy in New York He's making these famous these videos. He's the he's the the goat. Shout out to Caleb Simpson, just doing these basic video tours. Hey, excuse me, how much do you pay for rent in Bali? And uh, or sorry, in New York. And uh, I was like, I can do that for Bali, which would be good because I want to get into real estate. And even if it even if the Mermaid House doesn't happen, on a very basic level, it'd be cool to be involved in real estate in Bali and somehow whether it's villa development or sales. So. It'd be good to be known as someone who knows about villas in Bali, get some eyeballs, attention, etc. And that format seems to work for him. Maybe it could work for me. And also, I I always want to do more content creation. I, I, my one of my dreams is to be an actor. So, it was like this is an opportunity for me to do something. And the the other aspect of these types of videos which is so brilliant for, uh, from a creator's perspective is you don't need to get a friend involved. You don't need to like have someone holding a camera. The editing is pretty simple. You're the cameraman, the mm-hmm. director, and you're the narrator and you're the you're involved in it. So it's great cuz you don't have to like the infrastructure coming from someone who wanted to design a 100 million dollar resort to being like I just have this phone. That's all I have right now. <laughs> Very little capital, but I got this phone and I was actually staying at one of my favorite places in Bali. Shout out to PNB Hotel, which has now the sole rooftop. You, you yeah, it. it's amazing. I stayed there there during COVID, and I stayed there in my first month when I was here in Bali. Pretty affordable place, all things considered, but it's on the edge of Pereira Nod. If anyone who's been in Bali or if anyone is coming to Bali, check out PNB Hotel. You're not going to get the most luxurious experience, but you're going to hear ocean from your window. You're going to see ocean. Nothing's in the way, and the staff are amazing. So. I was staying there and I was like first things first let's see if this uh this works right so I <laughs> so I asked one of these servers from the sole rooftop like hey can you just pretend to be renting this place and just say you pay like a thousand bucks per month he accidentally said ten thousand so it kind of worked <laughs> out per year so I changed the caption to be like I pay ten thousand then I put like per year or whatever yeah and um yeah it's about a thousand bucks USD per month and it was just great he we did a tour of the place on the rooftop. It was really cool. And then we did a tour of the room. And he was just pretending to be living there. It was really funny because he actually had like the branding of the, <laughs> the restaurant. He had the yeah. apron on. I wasn't planning to post it. It was literally a test shoot to see if like, um, to see if like the mic quality was good, the sound quality, could I edit it, all these different things. And then I started doing some other ones and they did pretty well. And I'm like, a couple of weeks later, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to post the one from the first one, the test shoot, just to see how it does. And it was one of my most viral videos. Went super viral on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. And it actually led to the owner of Atlas reaching out to me to say, hey, can you come to our place and make videos mm-hmm. about our beach club now? So, 
Yeah, it was, it's, it was very serendipitous. So who was that? The, who reached out to me? Yeah. Uh, Ivan? Yeah, Tanjay. Uh, Ivan. One Ivan. of his staffers showed to me, actually. Ivan's a great dude. Yeah, yeah. And then we he, we got to meet uh, him in person. Mm -hmm. He's a really cool guy. Uh, Ben's a really good dude as well. Ben's the general manager? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben seems really cool. He used to do Solidity, didn't he? Is that no, he's, um, he's always been the... Uh, Ben's got an interesting story. So he was a head chef at, um, for Atlas. Okay. And then a director was leaving and then um, one of the big honchos said, hey, I love Ben, how you do all your operations. I want you to do that, but for the whole place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <clears throat> so maybe I'm thinking of someone else then, but sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess the moral of that story it, from my perspective is like, and this is actually funny because this, this theme comes up a lot in Heroes arcs. This theme comes up a lot in like stories like Lord of the Rings and... Star Wars and stuff, and something that I've written to is some of my fantasy, because I write fantasy comic books too. I guess that's my other uh, business or side hustle. Is like sometimes in the darkest of places, like I was in a pretty dark place. Investor had pulled out, lenders had pulled out, didn't even have a laptop, just got a phone. In the darkest of uh, places, just search for the light. I know it sounds cheesy, but that's when the light is the weakest, but also the strongest, most focused. And then just Try something, you know, try and see, see what happens. And it landed. And to be honest, when you said, like, you know, the algorithm, um, I also talked to a guy. He told me, like, hey, listen, if it pops on TikTok, keep posting it on Instagram. Instagram's algorithm is, like, slower for some reason. It wants mm -hmm. more consistency or whatever. And it's, he was absolutely right. Like, it popped off right away on TikTok. For months, I was only getting, like, two or 3,000 views. For the same videos, I would get a million views on TikTok. I get two, three, 4,000 views on Instagram. Mm. And now it's almost the opposite. Now TikTok, it's like almost like TikTok wants to like bring you in with like a lot of quick views easily right away. Mm -hmm. Get you like addicted to their platform. And Instagram's kind of like, patience, bro. We'll reward you eventually. You got <laughs> yeah. to put in your time. So yeah, yeah cause that's, um, it's, uh, I, cause I like to look at, I'm very intrigued about the whole algorithm and everything works on every platform. Mm. And you look at TikTok, yeah, because you get the fast views. Fast views, someone who has maybe, you know, 5,000 um, followers, but could have millions of millions of views on every single video. Yeah. But Instagram is really like, I look at TikTok for awareness, <laughs> for social awareness quickly. But then I always look at Instagram to be able to build brand. Exactly. And such a stronger connection. And I think it has a lot to do with the layout of the page in a way because also facebook's been really good to me as well in fact facebook gives me the most views another one and the most followers sure sure this is delicious it's good right but like yeah when you when you go to when i think of facebook i'll go on facebook yeah, to go on to like yeah. the marketplace tell me more about facebook because there's been um a lot of talk about facebook is very hard to really pop up on but you find i mean how many um i've three hundred two thousand followers on how many videos do you have now like that are a million followers? I mean, a million views, sorry. Uh, I think around now I probably have uh, across TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, I probably have about 60, maybe 65 videos with over a million views. It's insane. And I've only done maybe 120 videos-ish. Of course, there's 120 videos, but like you get three chances, right? So some of those videos did, you know, 5 million on TikTok, but like, 200,000 on Instagram and 1 million on Facebook. Mm -hmm. One video on Facebook got me 20 something million views. And 
Yeah, someone who was like really interested in becoming like a Hollywood director, producer, writer, actor, all, all those things. What I thought was interesting was when you see the amount of minutes that are viewed, and then if you divide it by like let's say 120 minutes, which is the length of a feature film, mm-hmm. I was kind of like astounded. I'm like, wait, if someone, if a million views is like let's say 600,000 minutes time, because not everyone watches the whole thing, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Let's say f- even 500,000 views. Then if you divide that by like 120, how many people watched a feature film of you? <laughs> right? And, it, it, and I put into that frame, I'm like, holy crap, like 20 or 30,000 people just watched two hours of my life. Or you can say 500,000 people saw me for a minute or heard my voice for a minute or whatever. Um, it's powerful, the social media and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's important to think about what people actually want versus necessarily mm-hmm. what you want to create. Also, shout out to um, my sort of advisory team. They they were pushing me. This guy from New York, he's an advisor for some NFT companies, some pretty successful ones. And he was like, you got to make content to show your journey, to show about, talk about the Mermaid House, so that like six months from now, when you've made some progress and investors see that you're still focused on it, they're going to be like, wow, I want to support this guy. And I kind of agreed with them, but at the same time, I was like, I need to go viral so I have views. I can't just like, say been day one still looking for investors no results <laughs> yeah. day two no results you know <laughs> to me it would have just been boring for the audience and yeah. for me so i'm like okay how would i do that every like month i do like an update video but then the rest of the time we do something that's more entertainment driven that can capture a big pool of um, eyeballs right because mm-hmm. out of a million views you might have 90 percent of people there just for the entertainment Five percent of people there are interested in Bali, interested in real estate in Bali. One percent of people that can actually afford to buy real estate or even thinking about buying real estate in Bali. Point one percent that are actually going to buy real estate in Bali or be involved in that, and then point zero one percent who might, could, maybe know an investor or are an investor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I like that approach because it kind of flipped the switch because I'd spent a year and a half reaching out to investors. Now I've actually had people reach out to me and say like, hey, how can I be involved in this? How can I help you out? Uh, when, when are you launching, et cetera? Mm. And that's a, that's a nice switch of, a switch of pace for when you're throwing all these darts at the board and putting all your energy into something and it's coming in the reversal. It's, uh, and like, it brought me here to this beautiful tequila podcast. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, bro. <laughs> I was super excited when, um, when you agreed to do this because I know nothing about you. Like my friends have done a video with you. Um, there's friends in your videos that I'm friends with. Nice. Um, and I appreciate like the growth, but um, it's been really cool to sort of really understand more backstory on on who you are and and, and sort of where your vision is, um, which is very cool, man. So you're gonna join us in the Mermaid House or what? Uh, bro, I'll be there <laughs> for sure, man, for sure, definitely. And what about you? Um. Because I think we had some similar interests. I think I actually heard about you before you maybe heard about me because I've been talking to Berwin mm-hmm. of ECTA, right? Yeah. So during my trying to figure out how I'm going to launch the Mermaid House when I was more focused on the crypto side of things, it made sense that everyone was like, oh, I got to reach out to Berwin from ECTA because like, mm-hmm. he's uh, well-known in Bali, I guess, for that. And h- h- are you still involved in that project? Are you wanting to talk about that or... Well, it's, an, it's another thing about funding, right? So, um, you know, the company's been running and we've been uh, finding, trying to find funding for the next for the next section for the company, right? Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, I've been here for six years, started a real estate development company in 2017. And then I, um, now I'm going out on my own. And so my, my, my focus really now is uh, to help my family. And my mum and dad like, are, the, are the biggest supporters of me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm building a, my own development, um, going out, like from, I'm exiting my real estate development company and then going out on my own. Oh, wow. um, to build something for family and friends no because I have a lot of friends who want to you know invest into Bali but they just have no clue and for to, for my position of understanding the market here very well and having my network where it is I want to present something to my family and friends for you know no no cost above of what it costs but because you're easily making 25 percent returns here mm-hmm. minimum. Um, if you do it at no cost, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. So I'm really focused on doing that for my, definitely for my family, um, but then also my friends. You mean you're, you you like develop places for them, but you wouldn't charge them, the, you wouldn't mark it up? Uh-huh. Can, I, can I get one of those places? <laughs> you can, bro. <laughs> um, so any type of style or uh, architectural vision or is it? Yeah, it's very like Mediterranean feel mm-hmm. because in Bali right now, uh, that's that's the place to be. The style is doing the best. Probably, yeah, right? and it, and when it comes to a construction side, to be able to create something like that, uh, you don't have to worry about as much, obviously quality control in the building construction, but the finishing touches, yeah. you can get away with a few things, yeah. which actually speeds up the process. I, I Yeah, yeah, it's simple. It's concrete and you spray paint the walls white mm-hmm. versus like, you know, if you were to do something more like, um, say, Northern European or like Versailles, like where it's like mm. detailed walls and stuff like that, wallpaper that it makes sense because probably the, the, the weather is more similar. Yeah. To, I mean, it's a little moist, more moist in Mediterranean, but mm. still like it's, uh, you know, you don't want to do something that's too complicated here that's going to get like. Exactly. You know, cost a lot of money, but also like it's also from what I've heard is it's hard to find the. Um, contractors who are talented enough to do sort of like a, a European, European mm-hmm. standards and stuff. I have a f- Russian friend who's a developer here and he's like, he's bringing over his Russian crew management and taking the time to actually teach his crew, like his local crew. I think a lot of them are from Java, but he's like giving them tutorials about finishing on like a European standard and stuff like that. So it I, takes a long time. Pretty interested to actually work with him too because I'm more interested in the higher quality mm-hmm. uh, projects as well. Did you know that only uh, six or seven years ago, let's call it seven, that local builders here only knew about waterproofing? They only found out about waterproofing. Yes. Yes. It's probably important to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. So I, one of the, this is really silly, but one of the other inspirations of the Mermaid House was like, I kept renting all these different places, whether they're a luxury villa or cheaper places. And I was like, how is it that no matter where I'm living, high expensive low expensive mosquitoes and bugs still get into my room and i'm i kind of not a big fan of mosquitoes especially while i'm sleeping because they buzz around your ears i don't bro i don't think anybody's a fan of mosquitoes <laughs> and I'm like who wants <laughs> and then like or like a villa that's like the the window the doors are like a quarter of an inch i guess it'd be like what half a centimeter uh between that and the ground it was like obviously mosquitoes obviously bugs obviously ac it's all getting in and out Mm-hmm. So just from like a, even from a cost perspective on AC, it makes more sense to just have like proper windows. But I think a lot of developers, they cut so many costs and they, they don't build like these proper doors, proper windows and stuff like that. So one of my inspirations for the Mermaid House was just like bringing in that higher standard. 
And now that I've been doing villa tours, which is cool, is you actually do see that some places do have the higher quality doors, for example, and some places do have that, but you still definitely see expensive villas that have like cut costs and like mm -hmm. just basically driving their their uh, guests insane because they're like, I just spent so much money to rent this place and yet there's mosquitoes buzzing around my ears every night, you know? Let's talk about that. What's what's some of the top, let's say top three um, best villas that you've toured so far? Mm. And I don't even know the name of this villa, but I just vi visited one the other day. Wow. It was 11 rooms, two villas, one property. You could rent both uh, for daily 6,800 USD for both for daily. Just uh, spectacular. Like the quality of the villa, spaciousness. It had, a, it had its own gym. It had like, it, it's designed to be like obviously a place for super rich people or it's like a wedding venue or something like that oh, you said 11 villas 11 rooms 11 rooms is this in Paranon? kind of just after Paranon. is it like big white building no no uh, it actually has a very like it's, it has a very indonesian style like you can see the okay. artworks indonesian and stuff the irony there is it's only two years old, but you can just tell by the marble finishing is like so well done. It has like a private theater. And normally I'm not so into, uh, like personally I like more like modern architecture and stuff. But when something is done in that quality level and the art is done very like, um, how do I say this? Tastefully, mm. where they're, they're incorporating the, some modern finishings, but they're incorporating some of the local uh, styles it works it worked really well in that villa um but yeah that, that would probably be one of the best ones the other one was completely modern this was villa uh, miliwe in uh, ubud it was spectacular it had like the glass ceiling pool it had a hidden room like there's like a bar that you just you push the um library door open and then there's like little bar inside that's sick it also had a stripper pool too in the master suite yeah and that's being built by Russians. I think that was actually a Canadian and a local Indonesian woman. The irony there was they were like, funny enough, they were kind of upset with me because, so the, this architect, the architect and the builder of the building got me in there to do a tour. And sometimes, you know, sorry, sorry, social media, sometimes some of the videos are that staged. We have access to a really cool villa and we bring in a cool model to do like the villa tour. And it just, it's more uh, engaging if she says she's the one living there, right? If I say like, oh, blah, 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 she's, you know, just pretending to live there. It's not going to have the same flow. Mm -hmm. So um, she, it's, the architect just said, oh, it's like $700 or a thousand bucks per day. So we just, we make these videos pretty quickly. So I said, okay, why don't we say it's $20,000 per month? Shouldn't have been a big deal, right? $700 per day, 30 days per mm -hmm. month, $20,000 per month. The owner of the villa was messaging me and messaging the DM, trolling me and trolling uh, the model, saying like she doesn't actually live there and like it's um it's not actually we don't rent it by the month and I and in my view she should have just been like when people reach out to her to rent the place they sh she should have said just clarified at that point oh sorry this was just a social media video the actual rent is seven hundred per day right now but we don't rent it by the month. I mean, I'm sure that they rented by 21 days or whatever. So, but she was just like, it's not by the month. She was commenting on like everyone's response. It's not by the month. But I'm like, I'm doing you a favor by getting you millions of views. 
why don't you just like let that flow of traffic and then deal with you know the, the clarification when it actually matters so i was a little bit like upset about that but one thing you have to learn about as you're getting viral viral videos let's say you get a million views you'll get like so you entertain a million people of those million entertain you might get 40,000 of likes so four percent have actually liked your video wow they've given you their thumb for a second mm. and of that four percent only like another one percent of the four percent have actually commented so not to take comments too seriously not to engage too much yourself because you can go mad because a lot of the comments can be quite negative and um and you just have to accept it for what it is right mm -hmm. um yeah <laughs> I mean, but you've got a tough job right now because you're the first person in Bali that's actually fucking done this. And like, because there's no one else that has gone out and done these viral videos of that. Yeah, you yeah. see that all around America, New York, LA, yeah. what do you do for a living? All these types of things. You're the first one, I'm pretty sure in Indonesia, on can I get a tour? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of even wanted to do like, what do you do for a living? I tried doing it at the beach a little bit and I noticed people weren't so uh, happy to answer. Uh, and it could be that... Because everyone's a life coach and then they make like $500 a month. That could but be they, it too. But, but they sell six-figure <laughs> courses. Yeah. I also think it's like also a little bit about immig immigration like issues. Like people are a little concerned like... That's a big thing, yes. Because even if they are working legally, because of the nuance of the law here, mm -hmm. they're probably just paranoid versus like if you're an American living in America... You tell people what you do for a living. But if you're like a boule living in Indonesia, even if you're doing it all legally, you still are a little bit concerned. So um, it didn't really work out that well. I might try it again. But um, I think it'd be really interesting to know what are people doing for a living in Bali because I can tell you, coming from Canada, I'm sure you can also relate to this coming from Australia or people that you know who are from Europe. How nice would it be to know, like, how do people actually get from point A and then, you know, living in your city, little condo in Sydney or Toronto or New York, how do you get to that island lifestyle and what kind of jobs are appropriate for that, right? I think you would go, my opinion, I disagree on that because of immigration, mm. because there's not enough people here. I don't, I'm not too sure. I think from you as an energy standpoint of going out and talking to every single person, yeah. Uh, the people who either have investors kid asses or working kid asses is very low. Mm. Then you've got to get the people who are on business mm. visas, which is very low. But business visas then allows you to be able to work from here mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. do meetings and stuff. You can't do actual business. Mm -hmm. So the digital nomads for sure. It might be you might have to go to like co no co working places. But then again, with your reach already. I'd be worried about, okay, immigration, because immigration has done this before, that they will look at all the tags that you're doing and then they'll follow up and they'll, Who's, who I'm and they'll see if they're a tourist visa, which most yeah. of them are. Like 99% of all the digital nomads are on tourist visas. They yeah. do the, they extend for three months and then they fly and fly out. So that's the problem. Yeah, I wouldn't be the one to be the guy known to be like, oh, this guy's approaching me. Run away because he's going to get me fucked. <laughs> Fuck off, Octavius. <laughs> I've got a tourist visa. <laughs> Just get, what do you do for a living? Come back Run. here. Come back here. <laughs> Dude, that, that would actually be a funny viral video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, so I'm doing these uh, villa tours. Then I got reached out by all these like restaurants and stuff. Hey, come have a free meal, have some free drinks, whatever. And I'm not, because I have a sensitive stomach, not that big into eating out 
But I'm like, and if it's going to be worth it for me to eat out, it has to be a viral video. So I started experimenting with like going on these like secret dates. I also noticed that my videos with pretty girls mm. were doing better too. So if you're watching my videos and you're wondering why I'm always doing videos with hot girls, you did it, people. You did it, not me. <laughs> I was, I've I been was, seeing a lot of these videos. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I to tell be me. honest, I'm trying to throw in more guys, but then I'll notice like I'll do a video with a guy and they'll get like, Total views across Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, 100,000. Yeah. Do with a girl, 5 million. That's like, <laughs> I'm only human. I know, I always tell you this, <laughs> Ricky's like, you need more chicks. And I'm like, but at the same time, the, the weakness there is, then your long-term audience, and you, mm. you, you kind of get sucked into this rabbit hole of being like, because my audience is into this, you get more of that audience. And so you start feeding that audience what it wants. And now the algorithm actually prefers that. For example, if I originally had done things that were just like mixed guy, girl, guy, girl, guy, girl, guy, girl, um, probably it'd be like a better algorithm reach. And now I feel like a little bit trapped in a way where I'm like, I feel like I have to do more stuff with girls if I want to keep getting those views. Because if I still show stuff with uh, a guy, my followers, are mostly these guys who like maybe 80% of them want to see the hot girls. And so when they don't see a hot girl, they don't watch it. And then mm. that video gets almost negatively impacted by my audience versus like positively impacted by it. So it can be like a double-edged sword in a way, right? So how do you view that as in like, okay, end result is you want to sell a product or yeah. do a collaboration with hospitality or whatever it is, villas. If you're always going down that track, which are attracting more guys which is cool yeah but then obviously understanding the guy's personality on they're looking at for the hot chicks what's your understanding and view on being able to convert that into a sale of a villa sale investing into mermaid um anything else what's what's your product goal how do you feel that do you think you need to balance it all out or are you kind of happy still going down that trajectory yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of it's going to be trial and error, right? So ultimately, I still think if, for example, let's say I got an average view doing it with a guy of like 100,000 views and like a higher percentage of those viewers genuinely interested in the real estate, and say 20%. So that would give me 20,000 people that were interested in the real estate component. Now, if you had a million views and only 5% are genuinely interested in the real estate, still higher amount, mm. still 50,000. So one of the concepts that I've been toying around with recently was that I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm doing this fun short form content and it's going viral, etc. And yeah, people like pretty girls and people like uh, cool real estate and stuff like that. And I think that's another component too. It's like, it doesn't always have to be pretty cool girls. It can be a pretty girl in a crappy villa or it can be like a really crazy cool villa, but it has to be like, and then, then it can be a guy or a girl. It doesn't really matter. Like, for example, I did one recently where there's this Indonesian uh, daughter of this father reached out to me. This guy lives in something called the House of Temple. That's what he calls his house. I was like, you know, I want to do actually some more local stuff, but I also don't want to, like, showcase things that would maybe be embarrassing or something like that, right? Uh, and the, But this guy reached out to me through his daughter because she's the, I guess, the English speaker, social media savvy one in the family. And she's like, you got to see my house. My father's really proud. And I was like, at first I was like, okay, I get a lot of these like people reaching out, you know, mm -hmm. cool videos, blah, blah, blah. You should come to my place, come to my place, whatever. And I only have so much time and energy. So 
was like, okay, send me, send me some pictures of your place. Just, you know, see if I, it's going to be interesting for me. I got a couple pictures, very bad pictures, by the way, but still I could tell this place is interesting and unique. Mm-hmm. And then I showed up, I was even floor, even more floored. The guy's got like 30 foot or I guess 10 meter statues on his house, a full construction team, just like making statues of uh, Hindu gods and stuff. So cool. The guy was really entertaining, super fun, really like uh, inviting and stuff. And that video was one of my best ones on uh, Instagram. Yeah, it's got like almost 3 million views now. I like that video. Though, it's, and the guy's cool. And then he brings me to this, this bathtub and I'm like, I guess this is my pool test, but that's like where he does his ceremonies. You sit in the water. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and then it, I was like, hey, can I have uh, something to drink? And then I was really expecting water, right? Spiritual guy. He comes out with like, a kura kura beer. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, I guess. It's like 11 a.m. I'm like, I guess we're drinking today. <laughs> could have could have been Iraq, and that could have been a different story. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So on that note, it's our, I, I would like to just keep experimenting. I also want to expand beyond Bali. Like I would like to uh, take these tours wherever I go. Um, I out of curiosity, I reached out to a place in L.A. I just saw a cool page through a post. I reached out to the page. Hey, would, if I was ever in LA, would you allow me to do a you know home tour? He said, yeah. And then I was like, okay, just out of curiosity, what's the what price of your um, homes that you develop? And the guy says, I only develop about two properties per year. But the minimum price tag on these properties is 25 million USD. And I was like, wow, that's cool. That's like a whole whole next level of like wealth and stuff. And and what's cool about it is I got in this to dra- grab some attention and stuff, but I also thought of it too as a way of networking, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than just being like, hey, let's meet for coffee, which usually is like a, a way of sucking value from someone. Now I'm like adding value to this property owner or adding value mm-hmm. to this developer by doing these villa tours. But then it's also a soft way to like meet them, understand their business, make another connection. So mm-hmm. it's all around like, I, I have to say, I wish I would have done this earlier, but content creation is really king. In this, in this day and age. You either want to own the platform or you want to be on the platform, but mm-hmm. you got to be involved in the platform in some ways, it's, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that means that you wouldn't charge them, right? You would, at your expense, go over there to network. Is that your, is that your kind of vision? Yeah, I mean, initially at least. Like everything starts with, um, everything starts with doing it for free first. <laughs> as, as I do 30, 20 or 30, 25 million villa tours, and they're getting like uh, million dollar villa tours and they're getting like millions of views. Then there's inbound traffic of people saying, hey, come do my place. Mm-hmm. And that, then at that point, you've got some negotiation leverage saying, I love to come. My time is worth some money. I, need, I have expenses. My editor needs, you know, gets, needs to get paid, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to um, pay me a little bit or at least cover my costs? So then it's maybe you get your costs covered. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I think it's like, your platform's so big that you either say, I want a percentage if this place sells or five grand to come to New York to tour your place. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's all in stages. And I think people need to like take that. Anytime you do entrepreneurial uh, ventures, if you want to be the guy or girl or she, whatever you want to call yourselves, making the big money, then ultimately it always starts for free. Like Elon Musk made so much money on PayPal because he worked so hard for free initially, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Celebrities, actors, how to do all these like free crappy jobs in order to get those jobs eventually it's the people who are like i want to get paid now pay now pay now they have a hard time ever moving up because they never invest in themselves in a way right mm-hmm. i look at daniel mack right yeah. so daniel mack you know started off the whole what do you do for a living yeah. 
and then great. he transitioned into having his own podcast now and because he got picked up he's got an agent now so now he has like all the big shots come on his podcast um he like he had Cheech and Chong like last like a couple of weeks <laughs> Did he ago talk with him? yeah and they yeah. gave him edibles and he was fucking losing his mind right <laughs> um so like when you're looking at building your brand because yeah sure doing all the shorts the reels um, everything like that is still going to get you heaps of views but to extend and build your brand have you thought about i know you talked about before about the podcast yeah have you thought about um you know doing more kind of vlogging stuff or doing actual long form walkthroughs yeah, yeah and doing that type of thing to build onto your brand completely yeah so there's a few different ideas that i've had so far one is to do like the long form villa format where someone i'm basically doing the short format, which still takes about 20 minutes to go through the whole villa, talk to someone, uh, sometimes longer depending on the person and the size of the villa. And then you have a camera in with a horizontal camera for for that component. I think it's a little unnatural feeling because you basically see someone holding the camera. Mm-hmm. So it might end up being something more like, I don't know if you've seen Innes, Willem Azar, I think. He does like the big mansion yeah. uh, all around the world, primarily in LA, probably like Miami, New York and stuff. But he's doing these big tours and they go viral, get millions of views and they are more of a professional style than say what I'm doing, which is more entertainment driven, I would say. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would be one component I'm kind of interested in exploring. It's just seeing how it works, see what I still like it. Another one that I've been putting a lot of thought into, and it's a little secret for the uh, audience out there, but I thought, how cool would this be? Setting up a Bali-based real estate agency, right? People like people like the girls. The girls go viral. Houses go viral. Bali's an interesting place. It's an interesting lifestyle. So much great content. Make it into a reality show, something like Selling Sunset. So you have your real estate agency, and most real estate agencies spend ten, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars a month in marketing. This real estate agency spends money only in content creation, makes money from the marketing, which then drives leads to the agency. So it's like flipping the switch on the marketing process. And then at the same time, our long form content could be both sort of like long form villa tours, which our agents would be doing. Uh, short form content, I would, I would go, excuse me, how much do you pay for rent in Bali? And then my agent who works for me say, oh, I'm actually doing an open house. Boom. So we have that short form content. Mm-hmm. And then we'd have the drama content. Uh, Svetlana, she stole my client, blah, blah, blah. Slap, cake in her face, you know? Me coming in there where it's somewhat like scripted. I wouldn't even say scripted. It's just more like improvised being like, oh, I got an idea to make things really dramatic in this office <laughs> right now. And I think that'd be really fun. It's almost like reality show combined with like The Office. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Based in Bali. And everyone's like, well, how are you going to, you know, the, co- the production costs are going to be crazy. No, 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 no. We're not going to do something for Netflix. Netflix is boring anyways because only like that's like cutting off 98% of the audience. Just put it on YouTube. Mm. Put it on YouTube. Shoot it with like some iPhone Pro Maxes, maybe a couple DSLRs, maybe, and then a few wired up mics. That's all you need. A few editors. Chop, 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 chop. Now you have more short form content for any dramatic moments. Mm-hmm. Now you have that long form content. So that's something I really want to think about getting into, and I'll as a way of like launching my agency, but as a way of also supporting the agency. Uh, I'd, I'd love to jump on that and help writing the script. Yeah. <laughs> see Ricky see Ricky knows me really well about writing scripts, but like Ricky would love to be involved with some of this. We could we, we should talk. We should talk. Yeah. 
That'd, not be, on high that'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and, and then uh, another thing about me was like, so I'm pretty strategic and I'm maybe sometimes too strategic where it's like you're mapping out all the different things and you're trying to find the perfect strategy, mm-hmm. which can sometimes an entrepreneur get you stuck instead of just being like action, moving that. Because you get too many like thoughts and yeah, yeah, yeah. like everything stuff. And you, you spend a lot of time planning versus executing. Yeah. But I've... Uh, the reason I got into comic book writing is kind of interesting as well. Yeah, which I I wanted to ask you that before. How did you get into comic book writing? Yeah, like why, where did that kind of come from? This is crazy. So I used to work as a business developer for fintech companies, financial technology companies. And one day I left the company because I, I was jaded about a few things. won't get into it. And I was like, what do I really want to do with my life? Like, I'd love to be a Hollywood actor, but like, but like one of the ones who get to like fly in an Iron Man suit or be a superhero, something that looks really, really cool on screen, right? A lot of VFX. And then I started thinking from my mathematical side came out and I was like, I'm in my mid-20s. I want to be a Hollywood actor. I got no real credits to my name. I got business experience. I'm pretty good at entrepreneurship. How many actors are there out there that are actually like, get to be the Hulk or get to be Iron Man? Or get, so Like one out of a million, right? So from a mathematical perspective, I was like, ah, the, I'm from Canada, I'm not even from America, right? The odds are against me. So I thought, you know, it'd be probably easier. And this can be crazy hubris completely. I was like, the odds will be better if I start my own production company and I have something so valuable that I'm able to like somehow work my way into the executive room where I'm able to say, I would like to have this character as part of you guys buying this content or using my, and then I'm like, okay, well, if I'm a production company, what do I need? I need a story. I need a script. So I started writing a script because I don't have any money to pay anybody. I was to write my own script. And what came out of my mind was like dragons and wizards and all sorts of really cool characters. Then I discovered I love writing fantasy because there's no limits. And I finished the script I write a second draft because it's, you're supposed to do that apparently. That was five months of like not making any money and just like writing a script, being locked away, being in your own head for that long. I'm like, okay, now it's time to sell this thing because this is like a script where there's dragons and there's like basically ancient versions of Iron Man and stuff, hunting the dragons. And I'm like, how am I going to get this launched? Okay, we need like $100 million. Okay, we'll just, we'll call up James Cameron, IMDb Pro. So I spent 150 bucks on the IMDb Pro membership. Hi, I'd like to speak to James Cameron. Because like, you can get in touch with these people's agents. And I was just like, who are you? <laughs> I'm the guy with the new script that no one heard about. <laughs> of course, wall, 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 firewall, firewall, firewall. I try, okay, that strategy didn't work. I tried contacting all the big names. How about if I try to contact like some, some smaller people on uh, LinkedIn? Only one person again reached out to me or responded in a way that was sort of useful. He's like, no one's going to read your script. I was like, okay, so how, what do I do next? He's like, make it into a, a famous short film or a best-selling comic book. Okay, I can't afford a highly budgeted VFX-driven short film, but I can afford doing some personal training on the side and then paying some amateur artists to write some comic book stuff. How do you write a comic book? You know, Google, how do you write a comic book? You learn, get the, you know, get the uh, software or whatever. Uh, then you learn how to write a comic book and then all of a sudden you got a comic book. It's just like taking these next little steps. Then it's like, you got a comic book. How do you market a comic book? This is extremely, ch- how do you publish and distribute? Now you're against Marvel and DC who own 90% of the market. 
So that led me into like, oh, let's think about a way to make this more uh, viral or venture driven type of thing. So I developed a business plan around it, reached out to Sunny, and that's where I ended up bringing in some investment. I was trying to find something unique. And one of the things I liked about Star Wars is it kind of tells you what it is, but it's also like a, a brand in itself. You like can own it. And I was like, oh man, it's hard nowadays because so many of the words and names are already in a way taken. So I started using uh, Google Translator, put in Latin. I was like, what about just war or warriors? So Bellatorum, from my understanding, because I'm not a Latin expert, means like war and or warriors, depending on how it's conjugated mm-hmm. uh, in Latin. And I just thought it sounded really cool, Bellatorum. And so my story is like, and like an evolution of business, when you're developing a fantasy universe, fantasy universe develops over time too. Like you first write your first script, whatever comes to your head or whatever, and then you start thinking like, how can we make the characters cooler? Or you start working with concept artists and you describe the character and they come back with this and you're like, hmm, it'd be kind of cool if it was like this. And they come back with another version. Hmm, kind of cool if it was like this. And then you start having to think about how do you like dragons have sex? You know, you have to like think of the most crazy things. So in my fantasy universe though, I wanted to make the dragon kings more interesting. And I don't think this has been done. At least I haven't seen anything like this yet. In my universe, the dragon kings or the dragon bloods, we call them, because there's like dragon knights, like dragon kings. They drink the blood of their own dragon and it actually changes their like skin into like scaly. So they become humanoids, like half dragon, half human. And they have to keep drinking their dragon's blood. So there's like this whole uh, society built into like extracting the blood, giving it to their king, giving it to the emperor. And like, if you're the emperor, you drink the blood of all your dragon kings as well as your own dragons. And that way you have some control over their dragons. And it's all like this hierarchical thing. Yeah, yeah. It is really cool. That's a sick fucking idea. Yeah, yeah. But then you think about, okay, if you had a dragon princess and a dragon king, boom, 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 what comes out of them? Is it a dragon humanoid or is it? Yeah. And does it have to? And so I started thinking about them. Like, I think it has to make sense that it would have to be given its own dragon as soon as it's born because it needs to have the blood of the dragon as soon as it's born or else it will die. So it would match with dragon. A dragons would have baby and then that would be mixed in. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you start, this is funny when you start, they call it the Bible, but it's basically like an encyclopedia of your fantasy universe. You start having to think about all these things. So you write the story, script, but then you have to write thousands of pages about like, the names of the cities, the names of the emperors. So you start doing crests and stuff, like family crests. Um, it's really fascinating. And like one of the components of Bellatorum that I'm really passionate about was like the origin story. What, what is this world all about? And then I like the concept of good and evil, being a, like good against evil. Game of Thrones is interesting too because it's a little more nuanced. Mm. And I wanted a little bit of the nuance, but I also want a little bit of the traditional good and evil. So in Bellatorum the origin script is going to be called Birth of the Two Spirits. And it's a little bit of an origin story to the universe. Like, just like a lot of major, like, you know, religions or a lot of major, like, uh, um, myths, they have this sort of origin story of the universe. I wanted us to have an origin story. So there's, like, eight counselors of the universe. They're kind of like gods in a way. Mm -hmm. And one god kind of goes off on his own because he really wants to experiment with, like, biological matter. He's the... He's the counselor of biology and chemistry and he rules that aspect of the universe and 
in that universe, uh, at the time, it's like a utopia. There's neither good, there's neither bad, there's neither pleasure, there's pain. Everyone's living this very like balanced lifestyle at the beginning of the universe. And then he starts experimenting with, you know, different organic matter, which is prohibited by the rest of the counselors, have prohibited the experimentation of organic matter. But he starts experimenting with organic matter illegally. And so the counselor who runs the army or the military sends his little troops in to like bust things up, arrest him. And the irony there is like, as they enter his laboratory, it causes a disruption. The two vials come up into the air, smash them to the ground, mix together, and out of it comes the two spirits, the Monokai and the Sarasai. And everyone in the universe from that point on, because it spreads like a virus, has either Monokai in them or Sarasai within them. You can think of this almost like, like Sith or the Jedi. Mm. So the more Monokai you have, the more good you have. And the more good you have, the more power you, you, can, you can create. The more uh, Sarasai you have, the more evil you have in you. So you have more power as well, but it's more evil power. And of course, by focusing on good, you can create more good. You can bring more of that spirit inside you. And of course, by focusing on the bad, you can create more bad inside you. So wow. like, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. That's sick. Our stories, they can create out of that base. Yeah. And that was the idea too, is like to have a universe that would be really big and broad and, and, uh, and whatnot. And then of course, time is always limited. So I've only written the one or two main stories. And the one is called the fall of the dragon Kings. And it's a little bit like inspired by the story of, uh, I think it's Moses walking through the desert. Yeah, it's Moses walking through the desert, going to a promised land. And my character is called Jeremiah, and he's leading his uh, people who are slaves to a new city, and he's following the one. And the one is actually an ancient Monokai spirit from another planet, but he sees the one as God. So he thinks of that as like one mono entity, but it's actually like this, basically like a wizard meditating and sending signals throughout the universe to this mm -hmm. one character to like help influence this great war between good and evil. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. There's so much depth and depth and depth on that. Yeah, yeah. So I have one question. Yeah. How do dragons have sex? <laughs> when do you like to know? What do you like to know? You have to read the book to buy uh... <laughs> Zing. It's just going to turn into like a big dragon porno. <laughs> and at the end of the day, that's all people want to watch. It's like, ah, these big budget movies. We just want to see some funny memes online. <laughs> DBC. So let's. Um, I mean, we're coming to a close right now. So, uh, uh, wait, wait, one more, one more. I was gonna say because I was like, have you like have it? Have you ever studied nursing before? Nursing? Yeah, I actually did a pre med degree. I was wondering because you've been nursing that drink. I'm trying to catch up, man. Let, let's go back to you being able to create videos because yeah, I want people to kind of understand on what it takes to make these videos. Yeah. You, you briefly explained a little bit about how you didn't have a laptop, you didn't have anything but your phone. Yeah. You'll be able to go and shoot mm -hmm. and film. A lot of people make the excuses that I don't have a camera, I don't have an editing team, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So can you? I definitely would have made that excuse most of the time too. Hmm. Can you help people understand how do how do you what's the the start to finish on being able to find the people? Do you have to DM them, um, set up the time, and then go through like that? 
Can you kind of give us a through A to Z on how this process actually works to help people understand what it actually takes to use your phone to be yeah. able to become, you know, build a brand? Yeah, I mean, like, um, if you were just to do, I think you have to just first decide on like what format you want to do. And what's great about the internet right now is like, there's just so many already popular creators out there. I don't think people should feel ashamed, especially in the beginning of sort of like, copying a little bit like and you're not copying to like rip people off you're just being inspired by their format it's just the same way like oh that person made a great feature film i want something similar and instead of star wars you get bellatorum instead of uh, daniel mack you get octavius raw right like there's some elements that you can borrow so i tried to work within my limitations i didn't have the editor okay it has to be easy to edit um i don't have a lot of time to develop like a, a script i wanted i actually want to do sketch comedy I have a few ins inspirations like Anwar, I don't know if you know Anwar, or you know, Probably Adam W, anymore. you know, Hannah Stocking, these types of people uh, who are, have a little bit more complex storylines, but they, ha they require a couple actors, sometimes they require assets like, oh, I need a cone for this one, or I need this special costume or something like that. And for me, it just made sense. I want to be a content creator. I want to do something related to real estate. This is the format that's working. Let's try that. And it's obviously, I think it becomes your own just naturally because of your own personality, right? And um, yeah, in terms of how it actually went down, the first Villa Tour, like I said, it was just testing out the, the quality. Like, can I actually make this work? Does it actually look good? Uh, does the sound, is the sound good enough, etc.? And then later on, it basically became like, I reached out to a few friends. Hey, can I do a Villa Tour of your place? Some agreed, some said no, and then I did a couple of villa tours. And then as I had some samples, it became a lot easier to reach out to people. So whether I'm meeting people through social media to do these villa tours, or whether I'm meeting them in real life to do the villa tours, by having a few samples, even if they hadn't blown up like crazy, like millions of views, it still gave me some credibility. I was like, look, I can do this. This is what I'm gonna do. So don't be scared kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Would you like to do it with me? Because obviously a lot of these videos, they look like they're like natural, like you're just randomly meeting someone. But of course, it doesn't really ever happen that way. Even if you are randomly meeting someone like, hey, I want to do a villa tour, they're going to have questions for you. Where is yeah. this going to go? Who are you? What are you doing? Like, why are you asking me these things? So, of course, you want to edit that out because of the cinematic nature of just like social media. You want things to run smoothly, like a storyline. You don't want it to be like all the behind the scenes awkwardness of being like, mm -hmm. I don't know until I really want to do a video tour with you. Who are you? What are you doing? You know, so, that would actually be a funny sketch. That would be funny where you'd actually like in long format of you going up to people, random people you haven't done the, the pre script before, yeah. but Hey, can I go look at your villa? And they're like, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. Fuck yeah. 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 And that's, and that's the other thing too, is like one guy, he's kind of a, a model and an actor in Indonesia. I asked, can I do a villa tour? And he's like, well, uh, I don't really feel comfortable showing my space, probably for privacy reasons or whatever. So I asked him, okay, well, how about we use a friend's villa? But then we make it look like you're breaking in. That, that's the funny like twist to it. It was like, at the end, people are like, who the fuck are you? And then they chase you out. And so that was really fun to do because uh, the villa tours often turn into kind of like a real. It's more of like reality TV, like short yeah. form reality TV. Then everyone kind of knows it's a sketch, and for him, it's yeah. like, ah, oh, that's funny. Yeah, exactly. And I would like to do more stuff like that because um, when I was telling you earlier on about my long term strategy of like, if I own the IP, 
I might be able to get into the room with Netflix and be like, make me an actor. But I know one of their questions is going to be, why you? You own the IP, yeah. But why else should we pick you? And the more reasons that you can like, it's just like dealing with an investor, the more reasons you can give them of why they should choose you, the better. And one of those reasons nowadays is to have a big following and to have some proof of uh, acting abilities. So mm-hmm. right now it's not so much geared towards that. The little seed for your audience right now is, is that I'm going to be getting into sketch comedy on my uh, social media as well. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm, my plan is to do it like this. Octavius Raw is the catch-all. Whatever I'm up to, whether it's villa tours, whether it's real estate, whether it's comic book stuff, whether it's sketch comedy, it'll, you can find that on that page. Mm-hmm. But then I'm going to create individual page for like Octavius Raw comedy, Octavius Raw, you know, villa tours, so that people who just want to follow me for certain reasons can also find that that vertical without getting bombarded with. And now you're building different brands. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's sort of my vision from that, but. Honestly, from a strategic perspective, I want to be in these big movies and stuff. And why is that passion so big to you? Like, why do, why do you want to be an actor? I think I like doing the impossible, but the impossible in reality is not possible. Like, you know, fighting with a dragon just doesn't happen on a day-to-day basis. Like, you can be Elon Musk and develop, like, rocket ships to go to Mars, and that's possible. But literally, there are no dragons. There are no wizards, people. I'm sorry to break your bubble, burst your bubble, but these things don't exist. But on, in the fantasy realm, they exist. Mm. And the only way you can really enact that fully is in like big budget films. Mm. And so that for me, it's really about, I want to ride a dragon. Mm. What's the closest I can get to riding a dragon? Okay, we can ride a dragon through being in like a, a VFX room and creating like the visual effects. And I, I, I just love these like mm-hmm. really, uh, and so it's a, just a fun thing. It's not, it's not so much about being like, I think it's a, it's easier to get popular doing like social media stuff than it is to do these type of things. And it's highly unlikely that these will even become real. But it's just like this weird childhood like fantasy, I guess, or even adult fantasy of uh, you know, the, like <laughs> ride a dragon, fight a dragon. There's actually these really cool characters in Bellatorum. They're called, uh, I call them Venatorums. And they're imagine like an ancient, uh, like a medieval knight meets Iron Man. So versus, instead of having lasers... Uh, he's got like swords that come out and like dart guns that come out <laughs> and they're able to like fight the dragons and since the dragons aren't flying on their own they're generally having like a dragon rider uh, I don't know I just like when universes sort of make sense like we have these other characters called um, Luxors and these Luxors are kind of like angels meets avatars and one of the things that always bothered me when you see like angels in like fantasy movies they're wings it's just, just sitting there, wing, wing leg. You gotta go through a door and you gotta like turn around like this and go through <laughs> the door, and your wings are just sort of awkward. So I'm like, the wings should pop in and out of the back, sprout. And the wings should almost be like partially yeah. light and partially feathers. So they're like almost half in material. So, so when like, like this uh, character lands on a dragon, the wings get sucked back into the back. And so they're like running on the back of the dragon to try to kill the knight. And then they say, kill the knight. And then they like jump off the dragons and the wings just spread out again. I'm like, that just mm-hmm. visually makes more sense and it's more interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's like know. the Falcon. Yeah. 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 That, that makes way more sense and no one's ever thought of doing that. Yeah. Why do angels always have to have wings? Yeah. Can't they just suck them back? There are no doors in heaven. But <laughs> 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 then you, you got to think, what does that wing hole look like? And it kind of looks like a vagina. Right? <laughs> if you think about it, like... 
it's got to be like tight but also loose to be able to let the wing back in <laughs> or, or back anuses or back vaginas <laughs> hopefully it's wet yeah <laughs> full of light my friend you asked me earlier before like what's my goal like what's my end goal kind of like for this and i like ever since i was little i'm the same like i've always wanted to be an actor really yeah and um Craig a face for that. I, I actually got a, a character that you look similar to. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got a director. Um, so he's uh, early 20s. He's from Western Australia. He's won a ton of awards for um, in um, indie movies. And now he's gone over to LA and he's in one of the best schools there. Amazing. Um, very well connected like in WA, but he's just gone to go there extend. I think like if you want to look at kind of that type of thing on someone who's a very good director, the shit that he's done on indie film, um, indie films for like um, uh, special effects is fucking crazy, man. Really? On, the, on the budget they've he's, done, he's really good at special effects, dude. They did like an alien movie, Amazing. and they had a budget of thirty thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars, no less than that. I think it was less than twenty thousand dollars, and his whole team together put something crazy, and they end up getting. Um, like a indie award film for Australia. Yeah, you should definitely connect me because like, so the, the concept that I raise money around is called Nerdy Union and the idea is that we, we turn the fans, nerds, into executive producers. So generally the way Hollywood works is like director or this uh, actor or someone who's pretty big note, uh, or writer has a great idea. They go to the they go to the executive producer of some production company or some streamer or whatever. Blah 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 blah. This idea, this idea, this idea. And the executive producer meets with his team and they either go yes or no. It's and then it, and then they make it and it goes out there and it's hit or miss, right? What I want to do is like the executive the the creative team comes to us and is basically like this is our idea and we say yeah it's it's good but let's let our audience decide. Thumbs up or thumbs down. It gets the green light or it gets the red light. Because the green light, we, we already have a pre-prescribed like budget. And so there's different phases. If it's the comic book phase, it's like a $50,000 budget to be made into like a single comic book mm-hmm. with a full story arc. If it's like a, a film or comp, uh, video game phase, it's like half a million dollars or a quarter million dollars. It gets made into like a short or teaser, something that could go viral on social media in order for us to be able to raise more money to it to either sell it to like a streamer or to be able to like uh, actually fundraise and produce it our, ourselves. So that would be interesting because like um, I'm about to close a deal with a studio in the UK. I don't know if I should be saying all this, but uh, about to close a deal with them where they will provide soft money. So one thing they want to be able to provide is studio space. Now working capital. Visual, expe- visual effects, costume design, sound design, post-production, etc which reduces the cost necessary to produce it so much. And now my role as an entrepreneur is, okay, how do I fill in the gaps and find the hard capital to actually do like the actual actors that we need, the director's bills, accommodations for the director when he's in London or something like that. But mm-hmm. it might be cool to work with your, your friend or other up and coming uh, directors, artists, et cetera, to do things like that. And the ideal thing would be as a company, we're so well funded that like every month, the audience gets to decide on a new comic book and the audience gets to decide on the new, like, um, one of the comic books becomes like a short film. Or one of the comic books becomes like a teaser for a video game. Mm-hmm. And then we go through different funding channels throughout that. And, yeah. 
get the fans involved, you know? Yeah, man. Get them engaged. I mean, I think that's where the world's kind of going now, yeah. right? Is the whole crowd sourcing of like crowdfunding has now changed where it's okay to bring the public into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if, if Marvel wanted to go, hey, we're going to raise this money for this next film, how many people would be like, yeah, I'll give you fucking whatever this money is? Yeah. Sure, take I, my fucking time. And, and I think it'd be also interesting if they were like two, two factors. Like, hey guys, we have the Marvel Universe. We're going to create these. At some point, we're going to create these 10 movies or something like that or 10 ideas. Or we're thinking about these 10 ideas. It's the next uh, Captain America or, or it's another Iron Man. Vote on which one we should produce next because they can only produce a certain amount. Why don't they have them vote on what comes next? I get, I get that sometimes it has to fit within their universe and their storyline and their plan. But also, like, let that plan be a little bit guided by the, the fan base. And they don't have to know the whole ending of the story. The fans don't need to tell, you, tell the writers what to write. But give them some say into the direction of the universe. Do we want a Yoda movie or do we want an Obi-Wan movie? Hmm. Kind of thing. That, that's my thoughts on, on that. And then maybe even let fans somehow... I think it was a bit more challenging for well-established companies, but for new startups, this is the opportunity for arbitrage is like, let the fans actually not only choose a little bit of the direction, but actually profit from some of the projects that come out. And then that incentivizes them to become their own Mm -hmm. little marketing agents and stuff, tell their friends about it, whatever. But also, I mean, it's a little bit of way, it's kind of like the the mermaid house rewarding your own community, Mm -hmm. keeping it in the family a little bit, right? Mm. Um, so that's, that's sort of the vision of the nerdy union is to create a, uh, uh, a fan driven company. Yeah. Yeah. I love it how both of those things are like, that's your passion, the comic, but then mermaid is also passion, but you're, you're consistently doing it around the kind of same, same sort of values yeah. of giving everyone the opportunity to be involved. Uh, and by being involved, that's hopefully going to lift them all up as well. Yeah. I mean, like, let's be real. It's both a admirable thing to want for for people but it's also a selfish thing like if you look at leaders great leaders they know that the best thing for themselves as leaders is the best thing for their community Mm -hmm. it's the people leaders who want to get fucked over and fuck themselves over are going to be the selfish leaders who don't want to give anything back so in a way it's just like in a way your own personal selfishness if you're smart about it is actually giving as well because it just Mm -hmm. feeds it feeds you more it's like the infinity loop or something like that um, one other thing I wanted to touch base on, I think that's kind of interesting. Um, comic book, films, what were we talking about? Mermaid House, Tequila. It's been a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just beat the record of uh, the longest we? podcast we've had. So, <laughs> yes. no one can ever talk Octavius. Oh, so what's cool about like failing and trying new things is when I was, so, so I've been working on this nerdy union thing for a while, this project. And when I'm developing business plans or budgets for it, it's always like, you know, let's say a comic book. Let's say the budget's $50,000. 30000 for the artwork, 20000 for the marketing. And on the marketing side, I've always put basically like Facebook ads, Instagram ads, whatever. It wasn't until I actually started doing these viral videos for real estate that I thought of another concept that I'm going to be trying out hopefully in the next year. And that's like going to all the Comic-Cons and trade shows where all the comic book nerds are, right? Meet them where they are mm. and start doing videos incorporating them and saying, excuse me, what's your favorite comic book character? Excuse me, what, would you, what kind of comic book would you like to see next? Excuse me, what's your favorite artist? 
trying to create, maybe the videos aren't so mainstream as like how much do you pay for rent because obviously everyone rents, mm -hmm. but maybe they're like viral within that community. And maybe that's better form of advertising than just paying Instagram or Facebook some money for like some stupid ad that basically drives some traffic to maybe the Kickstarter or the email sign up or whatever. Instead, create content that engages the community and that kind of sets me up potentially as like a modern day Stan Lee. Because Stan Lee is what, one of his interesting aspects is he's very much engages with his audience and his fans and Marvel. And he was like, he was both a writer, but also like very much the spokesperson for the company. Mm -hmm. So I think for me as a Nerdy Union founder, that's what I, I see as my, my uh, position. And if it wasn't for these villa tours and the, the necessity to create these villa tours, I wouldn't have even had that idea. I didn't think about it. And then once I saw how this works, this goes viral, maybe this would go viral and work with the nerdy union. So we'll see, but. <laughs> would you transition then? So say like you've done, like you are, how many followers you are with just the real estate side. Would you then go, okay, well, there's like, there's 50 nerds who are extremely influential, have a lot of followers. Would you then trans, uh, transition into, hey, I want it, this is my vision, but can I come and do a room tour at your house? So now you're integrating into the oh, comic good. side. Uh, I, doing, didn't, I didn't think about that. Doing the house and then at least everyone's kind of, now you're getting 50%, 50 real estate, 50 more about them. And then you can transition. So you're not going to lose everyone. Everyone slowly comes into this next stage. Yeah, I would say, I would say in my, my personal view, like I said, it was Octavius Raw as the dumping ground. <laughs> It'll be both. I'm gonna to go to the Comic Cons and do this idea of just directly approaching people. Yeah, so you do a second. That's but then ring. while I'm at the Comic Cons, I'm gonna meet people who are maybe living in New York and they're like super obsessive with their, you know, you go into their house and they have an entire room with like Marvel paraphernalia and mm -hmm. like comic books and stuff. That'll be that really, be really cool. super cool because it's getting getting both audiences. Yeah, and and then that's the great thing about content creation and just reiterating is is like. I came here today not even knowing what this podcast was about, but I wanted to uh, meet you and be a part, part participate in like being thank you, sir, in this uh, tequila venture. <laughs> also wanted just some free tequila, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Give me the tequila. Fuck you guys out here. <laughs> it's fake tequila. I put Did... sparkling water in it. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should do a, a shot, but also get the uh, the crew to do a shot with us. What do you think? They don't drink yeah, <laughs> they don't drink. Alia. Ricky is the only alcoholic here. Can we bring Ali on for a shot? My, can we bring my editor and sister? Ali, come on. Ricky, come on. Yeah. Don't see us now. No, 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 no. Come on, man. All right, this is the first as well. We, we've never had the crew come in, so. <laughs> I like to break the rules. Everyone, uh, this is the first time you probably, you would have heard Ricky uh, Ricky's my creative director. Also known as Ricky Martin. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's hung like Ricky Martin. All right, guys. All right. You guys can have the shot. All right, we got a... What's the name of this podcast? <laughs> Kill Hyper. Oh, wait. Uh, that, wow. That's when you know the podcast is going really well when you forget the name. Where are you? <laughs> Cheers to Tequila Hyper. Woo! This is why I love Bali. Life is like a tequila shot. Just take it. What? One more? Such a doggy? Oh, man. So, um, let's, uh, 
This is so much better. I don't know. I know, bro. Holy shit. So let's um. I mean, we fucking absolutely dominated the the record here. Uh, this episode's been awesome, even though you didn't know what podcast you're on, which has been cool. Uh, I, came, I came for the shirt. <laughs> so you, let, let's let's um, sign this off. Do you want to give people? Because I mean, what you're doing now, you've dude, you've got so many different visions, and you're smart enough to be able to combine it all together, which is amazing. Because people usually have one sort of vision. Uh, you know, like the first episode that I had with Gabby, who came off Love Island, and you know, got to a million followers within you know a couple of months. Wow. She was already in fitness before that, and then you get when you start to get fame, you kind of get lost because you get opportunities send your way, right? So true, so true. You kind of forget about who, what you really want, mm-hmm. and she was able to take all that and really focus on what she wants, and that's why she's got you know shape up and she's building her fitness journey and fucking dominating. So for yourself, with your journey right now, do you want to end this episode on what's important to you right now? Uh, we've talked about everything about comics, acting, um, you building your brand, but what is the most important thing to think about when you do get fame um, so that you don't lose yourself and you kind of don't get lost? I think it goes back to the four pillars of a good life, in my view, health, wealth, happiness, and purpose. Le- listen, if you don't have health, you ain't got wealth. And if you have wealth, but, or if you have, you have health, but you don't have wealth, it sucks. Uh, so you're like healthy, but you're broke. And then if you're like, you're rich and you're healthy, but you're not happy, what the fuck's the point? What's the point? And so, and then if you have all three of those, but you're just wandering around without purpose. So like, don't be afraid to just like take the Saturday off and start being like, if I can do anything with my life and I can live anywhere, if I could do whatever I want to, what would I do? And this is an exercise I did years ago and it came back to acting it kind of helped to focus the vision and i think both the mistake people can make is like focusing too much on the end result because it's like oh i want to be an actor okay uh in these hollywood movies uh, i'll just write a comic book this this is a extremely painful process to go through this like uh and a very high risk process to do that but try to also focus on baby steps so it's like if i if i can give you any advice from what i've learned is like have the long-term vision, which is your purpose of your life, whether it's family values, whether it's uh, your purpose in terms of like politics, your purpose of saving the world, purpose of being like an actor or whatever, but then combine it with like, you need to be healthy now, you need to be wealthy now, and you need to have some happiness now, but don't lose sight of the purpose. Keep that always weaving in and out so that as you make your steps, you're headed always in the right direction. That's it. Gang, gang. <laughs> That's awesome, bro. Cheers, man. Thank you so much Bottoms for that. Bottoms up. Bottoms up. <laughs> it's great tequila. I'm definitely, it's, I'm definitely uh, sizzling right now. Well, I'm going to give you this as a little gift for the rest of it. You can take it home and... Lonely. I... Cut it. You... I'm going to fall asleep tonight like this. <laughs> a $200 bottle of tequila. <laughs> And then, like, uh, just like a dog with his, uh, his toy, someone tries to drink it. <laughs> get away from me. You never get this. <laughs> Can we do one more shot, though? You know what I mean? Let's do one more shot, and, yeah. then, I'll, and then I'll close this out. <laughs> I, want, I want you to give a quote, too. Mm.
something that uh, inspired you to do this podcast? Uh, well, the idea came, as everyone knows already, like the, the idea came four years ago and it was sitting with my best mate, Eddie, who everyone knows now. Uh, and we love tequila. We love partying. What this show hasn't shown is our party side. And this is what season two is going to show and what we are really going to have a shit ton of fun. (laughs) Yeah. But what really freaked me out was this year was I got a great idea. I know how to run and produce everything. I know how to direct it. I've got a great team. You know, the boys here are fucking lords. But what scared me was what if I don't do this? I'm going to be sitting at 60 years old on a front porch on my rocking chair going, why the fuck didn't I do that? And I don't want to live a life of mediocrity. Mm -hmm. I don't want to live a life of regret. Like, I just want to take a fucking chance. Amen, bro. Yeah, and I'm so stoked to have people like yourself who believe and, and, and agree to doing this because it means a lot to me because I really want to just build this thing and... Um, it actually settled with me today. Like I've got so many things of, you know, what I want to do with my life, how much money I want to make and the happiness and stuff. But it all blends down to, I want to take care of my mum and dad and my family, my sister and my little niece. And if I can make this successful and I can take care of them, then that's all the wealth and success I need. Mm. Like I'm good. Like I'm good with money, Mm. but I want to take care of them and if I can help people understand what I'm trying to do with educating on tequila, having great people like yourself telling your story, fucking I've learned a shit ton about you today, bro. And I'm inspired to keep on going. That's what's fucking important to me, man. And what I like to hear about that is like, in a way, uh, I know bringing back to those four values, but like one of your purposes is to be able to take care of friends and family, right? And at the same time, you want to be happy. You like tequila, Okay. And wealthy, that's a podcast, it's a media, it's a new way of making money. And then health, well, tequila's got to be somewhat good for you. <laughs> it's, it's the healthiest alcohol in the world. <laughs> Amen to that. Cheers. Cheers to health. <laughs> okay, and also, I think that's um, the most amount of alcohol that I've drunk on, on episode okay. as well. We're like a quarter left, so... I know I'm just getting more and more flushed <laughs> I know I was like you've been blushing the whole time or what <laughs> okay cool alright well I want to thank you bro thank you so much for coming on it's been fucking amazing fucking yeah man thank you for having me I'm excited this is my first like proper podcast where I'm like being interviewed or whatever I guess proper podcast in any sense but I think where you're going it's going to be the first of very many and I've actually got a, a little idea that we could probably shoot together um for a little podcast idea so um i think that could be cool let's do it maybe uh maybe we can if, if i end up getting knock on wood the mermaid house or jungle house or mm-hmm. teddy bear house off the ground hosts project off the ground maybe you could be one of our podcasters that tours of different locations and we can have host host your podcast somehow you know i fucking love to do that bro that'd be sick <laughs> thanks again man cheers brother cheers yeah. bro Woo! Phew. oh man can we do uh this is why we love bali is it still a, would you still rate this bottle a 10 out of 10? Huh? <laughs> 20 out of 40. What? 10 out of 10? <laughs> 20, 75. I love tequila. <laughs> okay, that's definitely more than a 10 out of 10. <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs>
All right, one more handshake, and I'm going to close this thing out, bro. Right, Thank you so it. much, man. Woo! All right. Thank you. This is why we love Bali. Woo! <laughs> Let's go. What the fuck? All right. You, you want to do it with me? Come on. Do the, it what feels do we do? good. On the count of three. Three, two, one. This it's is why we love Bali. Woo! <laughs> now we jump in the pool. <laughs> Should we do a drunken villa tour? They'll be shoot, eh? I'll just be out the front and you be like, what are you doing, bro? Oh, I'm just getting ready for my podcast. Oh, I just come to my podcast. It'd be funny if you're like, dude, you're, dude. you're so drunk like you're running into a bush and I'm also like stumbling about. Yeah. Dude, we should do that. I'll go and get a couple of bottles of vodka and be like, what is that? I'm totally down if you want it. Uh, let's do this after, all right? <laughs> all right, let me close this out. Thank you, my kind sir, for coming. This has been fucking fantastic. I um I can't wait to see you blow up and get to that million followers across all channels. Hell yeah. You too, bro. Thanks, bro. 100%. Thank you, man. I can see you again there. I like this podcast. You're a good uh, host, for sure. My man. My man. Yeah. All right. And thank you to everyone who's been watching. Make sure you guys like and subscribe. If you like Octavius' story, if you love tequila, make sure you go like and subscribe. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Adios.